welcome to the Canaan Runes podcast. This is volume 4, issue 178. We are talking about Too Human. You can play along with Canaan Runes volume 4 as we get there. The next game we're going to be covering, Silent Hill Downpour, will be the end to our Silent Hill series. After that, we are covering Killer7, then Halo 2 and its anniversary edition that was released last year as part of the Master Chief Collection. We're then covering in one show Frequency and Amplitude. And after that, Transistor. You can find the full schedule, uh, those five games and what comes beyond, at CanaanRinse.com. You'll also find there blog articles, links to our merchandise stall, uh, links to also our Facebook page, Google Plus page, and YouTube channel. We also have a music podcast called Sound of Play that celebrates the best, brightest, boldest, and weirdest of video game music, which comes out every two weeks. We have 15 episodes or so, I believe, currently released. So do check that out on your podcast app, site, catcher of choice. And as you do so, whilst you are listening to our dulcet tones is a bit... I can't call myself or give myself that accolade, but as you're listening to this podcast or Sound of Play, please do review, rate, and subscribe to both the podcasts on iTunes or Stitcher FM or anywhere else you may happen to find this podcast. It all gets us up the lists and uh, into the eyes of people who may not have found us yet as you have. So thank you very much for doing that. Joining me, I am James Carter. In this issue, we have Brian Tarrant. Hello. And back-to-back episodes of uh, Kane and Rince. <laughs> he is here again from Midnight Resistance. It is Sean Bell. Good evening. Thank you very much for joining us. Not at all. We're talking to human. As you can probably imagine, uh, there will be spoilers for the story, but we are also going to delve into a little bit of what makes this game uh, notorious and well-known. And not all of that is to do with the game itself. Uh, the developer of Two Human, Silicon Knights, uh, their history, a fairly long and storied one from way back to the early 90s. Um, have either of you guys got any particularly strong feelings about Silicon Knights or any of their uh, previous works to this one? Well, they've kind of... It's a hell of a patchy CV, isn't it? I mean... <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, all right. Blood Omen Legacy of Kane, Fine. Like, an amazing series, but Blood Omen wasn't... You know, it's not the game in the series that everyone remembers. Like, all right, yeah. it kind of kicked everything off, and I think it was, um, you know, Dyak who's responsible for a lot of the, uh, like, the interesting sort of world stuff, but it was Crystal Dynamics who sort of took the ball and ran with it. Yeah, that's fair. Now, I've never played Eternal Darkness because I can't do scary games. Um, I gather it is somewhat of a masterpiece, or at least it's certainly very clever in some of the things it does. And then, yeah, and then Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes. Um, some people say it's like the definitive version, others say it makes it unplayable because you've got the first person mode, and it just makes it way too easy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and then Too Human, which, you know, by most people's measure is awful. So <laughs> they're kind of all over the place. I, I really liked uh, Eternal Darkness mm-hmm. and Twin Stakes. They were highlights of the GameCube mm-hmm. generation for me. Uh, so I was predisposed to like anything that Silicon Knights would put out afterwards. Having played those two games, they were great. Uh, yeah, my, my my history with them, I, I, I'm aware of their games. I haven't seen many of them. Uh, seen? Seen? Vocabulary is <laughs> going to pot already. Jeez. <laughs> uh, I haven't played <laughs> many of them. This one being the obvious one. Um that I, that I have played. But yeah, it, it struck me as uh, they seem to start off as a very much PC-centric developer. I think it's uh, it's fair to say. But then, th- yeah, th- their, so their history, they um, in 
1999, uh, no, 2000 or so, I think it was, uh, they signed a, an exclusivity deal with Nintendo. Um, hence, Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes and uh, Eternal Darkness. Uh, that, that was uh, Those were both games made during that exclusivity deal. And then after that, they signed a, a Microsoft exclusivity deal. So sometimes, so there's kind of a clear divide there, where in the 90s, they, were, they seemed more uh, PC-focused, and then there was a change. It's an odd one, and obviously uh, S- Silicon Knights ended up being, uh, certainly in my eyes, just because that's what I, I remember them for, more well-known for the, the lawsuits surrounding this game than, than their <laughs> games previously, which is kind of a shame, because there's some notable titles in there, as you said, Sean. Mm. Silicon Knights signed a, an exclusivity deal with Microsoft Game Studios in 2005. <laughs> Money well spent from Microsoft <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, in 2005, uh, this is the only fruit of that particular deal, Um, (laughs) (laughs) because uh, after that, Silicon Knights went on to develop X-Men Destiny, uh, was their their only other released game after Two Human, Um, and that of course was as part of Activision's deal with Marvel, so so this was outside of Microsoft's uh, deal that had ended by then. So yeah, Microsoft Game Studios of Xbox games and other stuff. That's what they made. Um, a list too long to mention, but uh, but Too Human is one of them. And around the same time, I suppose it's worth pointing out that Microsoft Game Studios also published um, the Xbox 360 version of Mass Effect. We'll come to why that might be relevant in a bit. Silicon Knight's also well known for the director and executive producer of this particular game, one Dennis Dyack. We're going to talk a lot about Dennis in, in the uh, in, in the future, but I, I actually knew about Dennis before I had played any of his games because uh, he he made his way onto uh, a few podcasts that I listened to back in uh, sort of two thousand and eight time around oh, just before the release of this game. How does he come across on podcasts? Is he because he seems kind of nuts from everything <laughs> else I've read? But um, he he's got a lot to say. I think it's fair to say mm-hmm. uh, he he got himself or or was invited onto and took the opportunity to go onto podcasts to to get his point of view across on sure, a yeah. lot of stuff that mm-hmm. he had strong opinions of. Um, yeah, well spoken, lots to say. Um, kind of bounces from one subject to another. To hear him on the podcast, what he says, you you listen to him and you think, okay, yeah, I can agree with that. You know, you kind of he's he's not saying anything unreasonable, mm-hmm. but. Um, but all the while in the back of my mind was he's just started a war with an entire forum's worth of people. <laughs> so And uh, recently come out in support of Gamergate as well. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it is weird actually listening back. Um specifically to I was listening to an interview he did with one up yours back in uh, late June two thousand and eight mm-hmm. when there'd been a large number of previews of uh Two Human. Yeah at that point that had just come out and he had a problem with some of those and he had a problem <laughs> with what with what uh, forums were doing and what people could get away with on forums mm. and a lot of what he's saying is in, especially in terms of the previews that came out is kind of shouldn't someone be holding these journalists to account <laughs> for what they're doing and listening to it now obviously in in the with a, a window of last year let's face it and and what's what went on then um mm. With regards to Gamergate and just the awfulness of some of that, uh, yeah, it's kind of like you can almost see where the slippery slope occurs yeah, to some of those more outrageous yeah. opinions. But um, <laughs> but as I say, you listen to him and you're like, okay, this particular incident, the way it's, you're 
you know, uh, putting it into the context of, of how it's affecting you, etc. You can kind of see what he's saying. Mm. Uh, but but yeah, it's uh, it's very strange to hear that that sort of interview uh, seven years prior or six years prior to uh, to all the stuff that went on last yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, it is it is kind of uh, you can see where where he might end up falling on that particular side of uh, of of, uh, of all of that. Yeah. Mm. A strange one. It's certainly an interesting guy. Uh, it has to be said for for his actions and and for all the stuff that surrounded him in the lead up to and, and release of this game. Mm. The game was released on Xbox 360 and only Xbox 360. August 2008. It did not, however, start in last console generation. This game has a rather storied history. I hadn't come across any of this until I started reading. Um, I'm not sure if either of you guys knew of this game from way back in 1999 when it was first... I was going to say, yeah, it was in development for like eight years. It was eight years? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah absolutely. Um, it, it was a different game back then, but there mm. was a four-disc PlayStation game that Silicon Knights were working <laughs> on called Too Human. The Norse mythology aspect wasn't in that, but it was a futuristic game with a lot of kind of like uh, c- cyber uh, themes to it. Uh in, in the way that, I, I guess, in many ways, the, the final game had, but apparently quite a different different game, and obviously mm. uh, technologically very different being on the PlayStation, and uh, yeah, full sort of eight, nine years earlier. Um, that, that didn't come to fruition. Um, when they signed the exclusivity deal with Nintendo in 2000, there was a GameCube version of the game, of that PlayStation game, I, sh- I should say, uh, still that older version of the game that... that was mooted to be in development as part of that Nintendo deal. Um, mm. That didn't happen. Uh, it, it, Eternal Darkness and Twin Snakes uh, ate up the uh, the massive chunk of uh, massive chunk of their Nintendo uh, work. And then I guess it seems like in two thousand and five, when they signed a Microsoft exclusivity deal, Two Human was the game that got them that deal. Uh, it was the only game that. The, at that point, they were they were developing. Uh, there had been mooted uh, sequels to Eternal Darkness that they, they may have made at some point, but never came to fruition either. And so, from two thousand and five to two thousand and eight, this was the game that they were working on, uh, with its North Norse mythology uh, aspect and and uh, the, the game that finally was released. The game that actually came out probably yeah. was only really being worked on for the last two to three years because there's yeah. no way they just like had a playstation game half finished and then ported that to the gamecube and then ported that to the xbox 360 no. like no. obviously each time they've had to pretty much you know completely start from scratch um and like you say the the, the you know the, the concepts like the whole norse thing um was kind of thrown in yeah. much later on so i think maybe we're being a bit disingenuous by saying it was you know it had this really long gestation period but obviously you know, it does have um, the hallmarks of a game that took too long to make in that it like it was going to have all these amazing ideas and was supposed to be completely revolutionary. Like, you know, it reminds me a bit of Duke Nukem Forever yeah, um, yeah. in the sense that like you're playing it and, uh, you know, although I, I do think people are a bit harsh on it, which we'll get to in a bit. Um, <laughs> yeah, you can just tell that it, it sort of reached for things yeah. and failed and <laughs> maybe it was just in the oven a bit too long. Yeah, I know. I know what you mean absolutely about the the Duke Nukem Forever thing, where mm. a, a lot of the things that were clearly intended to be new and fresh takes mm. on on other aspects in video games, be it you know mm. health systems or in this case the twin stick control system, etc., yeah. um, were clearly meant to kind of be re- revolutions or or uh, significant evolutions of stuff that had come before. Mm-hmm. Um, but but it has that feeling of 
we've kind of moved past this already yeah <laughs> or we, we've we've gone in a different direction already and yeah or like yeah like they've been so fixated on certain things that like and you know and they've been staring at it for too long that they've failed to realize there's a bunch of other stuff that doesn't really make any sense <laughs> yeah 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 definitely I think I was less um, drawn in by the the promises of revolution in terms of, of mm-hmm. playstyle than, than than the story aspects because for for me it, you know Eternal Darkness was really story driven and it told a story really well uh, it was my first real exposure to sort of Lovecraftian horror um, mm-hmm. and and I and I have to admit I didn't know too much about the Norse gods when uh, Two Human was uh, put about for the Xbox mm-hmm. 360 so I thought. It sounds it sounds interesting, you know. It's got mm. they're promising a deep, uh, involving storyline. They they're clearly confident they'd uh, they'd set the trilogy <laughs> out uh, <laughs> straight away. I mean, that's never a smart move, is it? <laughs> no, like, no. <laughs> I did have a little chuckle when I looked at the back of the box earlier, and I noticed you know the first part and the an exclusive right, trilogy. I've got the box here. Wow. It does actually say that, doesn't it? Yeah, it yeah. does. Yeah, Amazing. but that was it. I mean, to me, I thought. Um, you know, sort of technical aspects aside, or control methods, and all, all that aside, they delivered a good story experience before, and I thought, you know, I, I was I was happy to put down money for them doing it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's it's definitely a uh, a strange one. I, I mean, the first I was aware of it, as I say, was I started hearing about Dennis Dyack, uh, uh, and mm. and as an extension of him, Silicon Knights, and as an extension of that to Human, um, back in in sort of two thousand and eight. I kind of, um, I've I've mentioned occasionally before on the podcast that I've I had a gap in kind of playing games as as a significant part of my of of my uh, life until sort of two thousand seven Bioshock came out and uh, and from then on so around that time I started listening to a lot of podcasts and and his name kept popping up but uh, but I hadn't heard all of this until I started looking back at it and you know an E three teaser in nineteen ninety nine for for this game so we're literally talking it's not <laughs> just that oh it was in development it turned up on someone's CV no no this was an announced game as far back as nineteen ninety nine it was an expected game and as you say Sean a game that that was previewed. Mm. Uh, to two journalists and and previews written up about it, and to imagine how much it's changed over that time, and and a, another key part of uh, of why it was only in development, we know as as the as what the game ended up being for two to three years was the engine that it used mm. when um, Microsoft signed the the agreement with Silicon Knights in uh, May two thousand and five. The idea was to release Two Human in two thousand and six. It was announced in in partnership with or or alongside um, the fact that they were going to be working with Epic and and using the at that point pretty much brand new Unreal Engine three. In May two thousand and five, they said, you know, this is going to use Unreal Engine three. So uh, they can't have been working on the game for for too much longer than that because Unreal Engine three didn't wasn't released to second and third party developers i guess you know it was it was kind of in-house at epic for a, a long time so speaking of which before we get on to our own history we've talked a, a little bit about our own history with finding out about the game but not when we played it and before we do it's worth mentioning we'll come back to a lot of what the fallout of this stuff was uh, after we've talked about the, uh, the the actual experience of playing the game but before 
the game was released. As far back as 2007, actually, a full year before the game was released, and a little bit more besides, it transpired that this deal that, that Silicon Knights and Epic Games had was that Epic Games would provide them with uh, in-progress versions of Un- Unreal Engine 3, and then the final version of Unreal Engine 3 when it was ready to be released in a finalised version uh, through the development process, and, and Epic Games would support Silicon Knights in using the engine and, and uh, in, in making their game. And in July 2007, Silicon Knights uh, filed a lawsuit against Epic Games to say that they hadn't been supported, they hadn't been given fully functional versions of the engine, and that basically Epic had, had negated to fulfill the terms of the deal. Less than one month afterwards, after that, uh, Epic Games countersued to say that basically uh, Silicon Knights were misusing Epic's tech, were, as it, as it later transpired, potentially using aspects of, of the engine when they didn't have rights to, were, um, were basically misusing proprietary uh, technology in the engine. Um, and, and that ran on for some five years, that, that uh, lawsuit and counter-filed lawsuit. And this was all out a, a year in advance of. And at that point, uh, I guess sort of midway through development, certainly in terms of the announcement to when it was released, Silicon Knights said that they were developing their own engine um, to, to use the game for because they they basically weren't getting the support they needed. And it just, again, as you said, Sean, started to sound like they were kind of the, the hallmarks of this really isn't going to plan, is it? Mm-hmm. Two to three years is not a massive amount of time to make a game essentially from scratch anyway. And when halfway through that, you're changing your engine and building a new one from scratch again that that i mean essentially cuts your cuts that amount of time down to potentially a year to rebuild an entire game from scratch which doesn't sound like a massive amount of time at all so that was kind of the start of a a rather messy uh release of this game uh in terms of the development a, a long tail and and moving the game around and then just problems with actually getting the game out we will come back to that later because there there's uh, <laughs> several twists in the uh, in the story before a sting in the tail for for that one but that all comes in in very close after release and then and then the years uh following but we want to get on and talk about the game and our experiences with it so uh Brian when did you pick up to human I picked it up on release I bought it and I played through it all it's not a huge game um really uh, it's sort of broken up into chunks, isn't it, of about sort of four main chapters. And I, I got through those pretty quickly and I, I finished the game wanting more. Uh, so I went back through it. I, I played it all through solo and then I went back to the to the beginning again and did some co-op uh, through the levels again, uh, desperately in search of uh, an epic uh, armor set. I think it was epic or legendary. I uh, never got it. I think I was always missing the boots or something like that. Uh, <laughs> but I did get to, to God level. Uh, I think it's level 50 or something like that, uh, which is the highest um, level for the character. And and then, yeah, put it away after that. And then in preparation for this podcast, I went back to play it again and uh, made it through all of about two levels. But, yeah, we'll talk about why later. Some might say you uh, <laughs> caned and rinsed the game then. I, well, the first time through, I did. I, abs- I absolutely uh, loved it and absolutely yeah. played it till I, you know, I, I could get. I felt like I could get no more out of it. It was yeah, great. No, absolutely, Sean. I, I'm going to go ahead and assume you play this game at release as well. Uh, I was going to say, yeah, uh, much the same as uh, Brian's experience. To be honest, I was there day one 
for some reason. <laughs> no, I you know played the demo when that came out, um, and you know genuinely really enjoyed it. Um, mm. So then went straight in on the the full game. Yeah, it was it was interesting because I seemed to um, like I was doing the levels cooperatively with other people before I really did the game myself. So I'd basically seen all of the, basically seen the entire game, but I had no idea what the story was. Because you just when you you know when you caught with other people, it just doesn't bother with the cutscenes. Really? I think it might be because they'd already played the levels in their no, games, possibly, and yeah. they were just yeah. yeah yeah yeah. So I was just sort of tagging along with other people constantly, and yeah, just had absolutely no context for anything I was doing, <laughs> um, which was interesting. Like you know, to this day, like I can't remember much of the story because I think even when I did get around to um, playing it myself, I was kind of like, oh right, so that's why he's a bad guy, and that <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, really strange. But uh, yeah, again. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I must have done the entire game through sort of, you know, three or four times at least. And yeah, like, right. you know, got a full set of armor, spent ages getting like, you know, all the armor dies to get my armor to look decent. Um, yeah, no, I, I went all in on it. Because, you know, and this was back in the, the days when I think I was still at university. So I basically had infinite free time to um, plow into games like this. And, you know, and, and like, you know, many people... Like many, you know, most of my friends were in a similar situation, so we all, yeah. like, we actually mm-hmm. played a lot of co-op together. Um, although only two at a time, because that was one of the things they yeah. got wrong, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, so uh, originally at that 2005 announcement and in the sort of uh, year or two afterwards, it was intended to be a four-player co-op, but it's not the only game around that sort of time that mm. was planning four-player co-op and then dropped it to two and yeah. that, that happened with a few games i think it was one of those things that games like gears of war laid some of the uh, the the groundwork for this uh, drop in drop out co-op was very mm. popular and uh yeah so it, it was it was kind of a target to to have that and then obviously the 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 gold standard became four player drop in drop out co-op and yeah, uh, yeah. and occasionally that just didn't quite make the cut and in this game it, it, it didn't yeah. yeah i mean it's strange i mean first off we should say you know this isn't like um like when titanfall you know they announced it was only going to be 6v6 and everyone's like oh it's rubbish um it's like look it that's different because titanfall is very clearly brilliantly designed around that sort of scale whereas this definitely should have been four player co-op <laughs> like the like you know the, the the classes you can pick from which we'll probably get onto in a bit but yeah, yeah. Like one of them, the bioengineer is clearly like, you know, the support class. It's support and it's all class. about, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, and it's all about, um, you know, these sort of subtle effects that you have on yeah. all of your allies, all one of them. <laughs> just kind of <laughs> makes it um, a little bit useless. And, and commando slightly more usable, but is a ranged character, so you really can't afford yeah. to have him near enemies. In, I mean, theory, certainly. Mm, yeah, exactly. Um, so it, it actually. Yeah, it actually sort of broke it a bit, only allowing two players. And it's doubly strange because, um, I mean, in my experience, it worked perfectly with two players. Mm, um, yeah. I mean, you know, I uh, this is me commenting on, on uh, commenting on things I probably don't understand, but I don't see what would have made it so much with worse. Barriers, adding, yeah. yeah, like you know, considering I didn't have a single problem. Like I remember me and a friend used to joke that, like, you know, when you jump in the game, you can like spin around really quickly. And like that is that is synchronized perfectly with whoever you're playing online with, <laughs> and it looks ridiculous. And it, I remember for me and a friend were just laughing, like that's how good the netcode is. <laughs> yeah, it can perfectly yeah. relay this like stupid, like really fast movement. Um, and yet they couldn't allow more than two players. The other interesting thing I hadn't thought about this, and and we'll we'll get on to uh, to death mechanics and the like uh, mm. in a bit. But 
when you die and then come, you're spawned back in, you are spawned back into a world that is has kept running. You can often see the Valkyrie that has just that has just picked your corpse up, still exiting the level. <laughs> yeah. So it's clear that again, the game is designed to keep running even in the absence of the player who has just died. Yeah, it just keeps running and then pops you back into the world. So again, mm-hmm. that seems like the sort of thing you'd want to have in place for a co-op game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and yeah, it's obviously there was a technical hurdle somewhere along the line. Just to support what you said, Sean, on the on the character class, I was, I was glad mm-hmm. you said that because when I went to back to play through it again for the podcast, I thought we. I know I played the champion class before. Yeah. Because uh, he was the all-rounder, so it made sense to mm. go through first time. But I thought, well, maybe I'll give a different class a try. But you're right, they, they all just seem to be like you were going to be basically uh, hamstringing yourself if you yeah. chose <laughs> anything other than the, the champion the again. So yeah, I spent, yeah. yeah, I went back for that one again. Yeah, definitely a strange one. And and the, the character classes very definitely are um, kind of stratified in that way where you want you want a party of because each of them can be specialised aside from maybe the champion, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Each of them specialises in such a seemingly defined way. That bioengineer class, like if you had a party of four people, like having a bioengineer would be essential. Um, yeah. But when you're only restricted to two, it's kind of it's rubbish. <laughs> not that. I mean, it's a little bit helpful, but not like... It's it's worth saying, uh, when I went to start playing this game, I saw the classes and I was like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to pick here. Mm-hmm. Not supposed to, but you know, what I should pick here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, hopped on... Uh, googled best class apparently people have opinions about this sort of thing (laughs) a lot of people did have different opinions on what classes and and how you would spec them through the skill trees to to make them viable Mm -hmm. as a solo um but actually a lot of the consensus opinion seemed to be that there were only really a couple of classes that you should be picking to play purely solo yeah berserker just didn't have enough health and and Mm. commando didn't have good enough melee to kind of handle being mobbed and so um, the the prevailing opinion seemed to be that defender and champion were really your only two options, and given defender could hit as hard as a champion, ultimately, <laughs> um, why not just take the extra um, the extra armor and health? Yeah, yeah. Um, I hadn't actually thought of it in that way, but but you guys have made a, a very salient point there that the classes kind of are set up for it to be a a multiplayer dungeon crawling uh, mm. combat game, and uh, and yeah, to only have two there. Don't get me wrong. It, most games can be improved or, or certainly can be if they're designed to be played co-op. But um, um, mm. I didn't get a chance to play co-op, uh, unfortunately. I, I, I had. Uh, you mean the servers aren't absolutely buzzing in 2015? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I played through this game solo uh, in the past week. So basically after recording our last show on Godhand, I, uh, I hopped onto this and um, beat it in the last week, I think, actually. Uh, only took me sort of four or five days mm-hmm. um, to to get through it, just in kind of two three hour uh, sessions. Just in preparation for this podcast, the reason I had had jumped at the chance to be on the podcast was um, a, a few years ago, right after um, the game seemed like it might become harder to find. I'd found a cheap copy on Amazon uh, of the new game and bought <laughs> it just so that I had it because mm. again, at that point there was just I'd kind of heard uh, via several so- uh, sources. The story of this game and and its uh, development and its its release and all the kind of Ferrari surrounding it, but not really ever um, seen the game or played the game. So always uh, wanted to go and see what what the actual game itself was like, and so had it, but never uh, never got around to playing it. And now with the three sixty not really being. Uh, my uh, number one spot to go and play games, I just hadn't got around to it. But uh, yeah, so 
I'm bringing a very, very much a 2015 perspective on this 2008 game, <laughs> which I think that it's uh, it's it's kind of different because to hear you guys, obviously, both of you uh, had a lot of enjoyment when it was first released, but um, it's it's a game that I think for several reasons. I didn't get as much out of probably uh, not not to spoil my opinions on it mm. as, as you guys did at, at release, and it would have been interesting to see that in a, in the you know in my two thousand and eight uh, my two thousand eight point of view on it. I think might have been quite different. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, like I said, I uh, absolutely caned it back in the day, and then uh, mm. went to replay some of it um, for this show, and yeah, there was a bit, you know I spent maybe an hour on it, and then it was like, ah, do you know what? new destiny contents out (laughs) i've only got so much free time Um, like it yeah it hasn't aged um brilliantly like i still quite like the control system um god love me Um, (laughs) like the like the the melee system is certainly interesting if nothing else like i i i totally get what they were going for in that you know uh, often sort of you know action RPG sort of hack and slash games often just feel like you are just wading through enemies so why not you know why make you keep mashing a button why not just have this system where you're just sort of gliding the stick around and your guys just kind of flying around hacking everything up yeah. um, I still like especially if he plays the, the berserker because he has like longer range and sort of builds his speed up really quickly um, it's still pretty thrilling like when there's just absolutely tons of enemies and you're just dashing around um, knocking the heck out of them. It's it's good. It's good fun. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, yeah, definitely. I mean, when I when I booted it back up again uh, to play it, I, I didn't. I expected to play maybe an hour of it because I thought it's going to be have really dated now. But mm. the first time you get into a, a fight with a lot of the grunts and mm. you're zooming backwards and forwards with the with the um, control stick and and taking them out and leaping, you know, knocking uh, characters up into the air and uh, you know juggling them up there, I thought. This is this is great. I, I said to my wife, I think I'm going to play through it all again. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is a bit more to it than just dashing yeah. around, isn't it? Like you say, there's the launching attacks, there's your your ruiners, there's the um, I forget the name of it. There's fierce, like a, fierce attack, I guess. Yeah, it's yeah, the, yeah. The sort of two sticks um, in the same direction. Yeah. yeah, and there's the whole like really poorly explained thing that like certain enemies have different elements, don't they? And there's <laughs> certain attacks you're supposed to use on them. But I mean, even after all the time I spent on the game, I still had a really poor grasp of that stuff. There's definitely more to it than the game would necessarily have you believe, which mm. is uh, which can be a great thing. It really can in, mm. in the cases of, uh, of many many games. But we will we will come back to the gameplay later. I tend to like to start off with uh, with just looking at the game, uh, its aesthetic and influences, just because it kind of gets us into the feel of 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 the game. Yeah. Um, this. This game has a, a, a cyber Norse setting, which it's tough to know what to make of it. But actually, I fi- I found <laughs> it it quite worked. I thought it could have been done a lot worse. I think, yeah, yeah, like the the parallels they make between yeah, sort of you know, basically turning the you know the spirit world into cyberspace. Um, yeah, the the way they sort of translate everything, it's a bit silly, but it kind of makes sense. It's, <laughs> it works, yeah. and the whole yeah, the the whole thing of their um, basically everything in cyberspace, you know, relating to the real world. It's like this, yeah, it's yeah. like this other dimension rather than like a totally separate um, entity. So yeah, so you know, you you have these sections where you you go into. Um, the cyber world and, and interact with things and that and then affects the real world and yeah it's it's all right it, <laughs> um, like it sounds awful describing it it does yeah it does sound like it could go horribly wrong but yeah the, and, the, the and the idea of you know 
gods just being cybernetically enhanced humans. It's not too yeah. ridiculous. Like they, yeah, you know, if, no, if there were just a select group of people who had cyber enhancements, of course they'd lord it over everyone else. <laughs> and, and and to anyone who didn't understand, it's it's that whole kind of like uh, mm. you know, magic is just science we don't understand yet. Type yeah, thing. yeah. And this is very much that aspect of there are these group of people who appear as gods because they mm. are cybernetically enhanced or or yeah. have access to technologies that that people essentially people even of of the future as these are supposed to be this is a futuristic setting mm-hmm. um where there are kind of uh, there's this robot army uh basically uh starting to attack humans and it's the job of the gods to protect them and there's that whole aspect of will will people lose faith in the gods if if they realize that that these norse gods aren't actually able to uh to to deal with these robots as efficiently as they might, which is which is quite quite an interesting uh, interesting take. I thought yeah. um, it's it's very much a, a melding of very traditional Norse mythology, all the the names and characters there you would expect, um, all with their respective roles and and uh, similar backstory. Um, they they still have the essentially the, the different realms, so Helheim and Svartalheim and yeah. um, and Asgard, etc. Um, they they don't refer to. I'm not entirely sure that they refer to Earth as Earth or Midgard or anything like that at all. It's just the people and yeah. and these these gods. It flits between the cyber world. So when you're at Heimdall's uh, office, he then turns around and looks out of uh, basically the the top of this tall um, sort of skyscraper level building mm. out over the rest of the world. So there's this kind of like as you say, multiple dimensions layered on top of one another. Uh, with different looks to them, and so mm. it gives different areas of the world quite striking appearances, mm. um, and quite a striking look. Th- that kind of uh, leads into the, there's a, a strong theme in the game of humanity versus technology, uh, and and you can be a, a human god, as it were, or a, a cyber god. Essentially, you, you have a, um, I guess, a, a morality system to to choose from in that respect. Um, but it's just a. a- gameplay choice really isn't it it's yeah. just like which you know which skill tree do you want <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, i was sure the whole way through the fact that i'd chosen to stay a quote-unquote human uh, god mm-hmm. would mean that because from very early on it seems obvious that loki is going to be an enemy as would be expected yeah. uh, and he is very very heavily cyber enhanced mm. so therefore i thought okay i'll stay on the human end of the scale and that might change that no it doesn't change the story <laughs> at all is literally as you say access to different skill tree and and some different items i guess because a lot of items i had were i didn't get that many cyber items but the ones i did just were locked off so you just sell mm. them straight away yeah yeah i thought that was an interesting uh, interesting take on it and and it allowed the the look of the game to kind of expand beyond just one world one plane of existence you had multiple different ones so mm-hmm. when you're in the cyber world talking to uh, the norns in there and and the the tree of life and that sort of thing uh, that's a very different look to when you're in Aesir talking to the the other gods and seeing the kind of futuristic city of the future type environment mm. and that's again very different to kind of the opening cutscene which is on amongst people uh, in this kind of dark Blade Runner future looking city basically this kind of down downtrodden worlds that's kind of just rumbling on in spite of itself almost mm-hmm. I, I thought it allowed a lot of scope with this kind of that setting and 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 kind of background to the game a lot of scope for playing with the different uh different 
layers of reality and the different looks of it. Yeah, yeah. It's worth saying as well, the the yeah, human versus cybernetic pathing, like like yes, it's different skill trees, but the the differences between them are kind of interesting. The cybernetic one is all about dealing more damage, whereas the human one is all about um you get an extra combo level. So yeah, so you're doing less damage per hit, but you get this um like yeah, for each combo level you go up, you start dashing around much more quickly. Yeah, um okay. so yeah, so they're you know they're not just different skill trees; they are sort of subtly different ways to play the different game, paths, yeah. um, which is cool. But then you know it's not like anyone's. I don't think many people actually bother to do separate characters with different paths to sort of really see what the differences are. One aspect of the the well, a couple of aspects, I suppose, of the look of the game that did kind of throw me a little bit. Let's be polite and say throw me a little bit. The, the opening cutscene when you first see the protagonist that you're going to be playing as. I mean, there's several characters in the game refer to him as good looking. <laughs> I don't want to be mean to Boulder, but... Yeah. He had some striking blue lines in his head, didn't he, though? He did yeah, have striking I do like, I do like the vein, blue lines. That, that made but... a, an interesting cover, obviously, with the shadow across his face and the, yeah. and the blue there, although it's never really referred to why some people have blue lines on their face and others don't. I'd assumed it was to do with the fact that he's he's died once and then been rebuilt yeah because one of the other characters that notably has that is Mimir who is Uh just the reanimated head of a of a fallen warrior so yeah it therefore would he not have realized he was dead by the way spoilers folks would he not have realized he was dead by looking in a mirror (laughs) (laughs) it's a clue isn't it hang on what are these blue lines on my face (laughs) who's got their pen out while I was asleep He's not not the best looking of, uh, of protagonists, and not the most interesting. I don't think either. Mm. Uh, it struck me immediately that this comes from the the unreal staple of that era of this is a bald space marine. Yeah, basically, <laughs> he's he looks like he he could have been Commander Shepard if something went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, you see, I'm glad you said that. Now, I'm not about to accuse Mass Effect of stealing ideas from two humans, <laughs> but. Um, you know, it's, I think it's Mass Effect Two. If you're evil, like um, in that, his face starts to go a bit crackly because um, yeah, it's like the whole. Cause, and again, that's because Commander Shepard, spoilers, um, has died and been rebuilt. And I think the excuse in Mass Effect is that like something like yeah, like negative thoughts or anger or whatever will sort of um, disrupt. You know, his like healing process is still going on um, after he's been rebuilt, rebuilt from like some tissue they found in space um, <laughs> and yeah and so he, yeah, he develops these sort of cracks with this sort of red light uh, like sort yeah. of glowy red light coming through them a little bit reminiscent of Baldur into human definitely yeah yeah absolutely the other aspect of it that kind of threw me was uh the first time i got a piece of armor and put it on Mm. not a fan of the armor and the way it looks in this game <laughs> a lot of it looks really dreadful doesn't it a, a couple it's... of times i looked at my character and i was like Oh, I look like a really badly coloured, poorly done Mega Man running around here. I've got big bulgy bits around my forearms and and uh, lower legs, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, yeah, I look like a green and yellow version of Mega Man. But it's all mismatched and not really going. To, um... You see, yeah, this is like this is what I spent far too much time doing. Um, sort of at the end game stage was basically yeah, just getting a set of armor together that looked good, and then getting like the same colour dye Shaders for each piece, for it, yeah. and then just yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so- which in hindsight is ludicrous. What, what an amazing <laughs> say, way to waste my life. 
didn't know I could do that, but not going to go back and play the game again just to do that bit. But, yeah. uh, but no, it's good it's in there. It allows you to customise that, which again, mm. given you may be playing this with someone else who can see your character, that's, uh, that's a well, nice yeah, I mean, It's not like... It's kind of... It's, you know, it's that sort of MMO kind of customisation um, where half the point is that like you know potentially thousands of people are going to see you cutting around and people you know people will will know when they see someone with like an amazingly rare set of armor or something but yeah to humans yeah. only one other person there with you <laughs> <laughs> but that other person's really impressed oh I, yeah <laughs> <laughs> the, the other thing that struck me and I, I, I guess again this is uh possibly just a, a function of of the game's age the hmm. um certainly the early cutscenes there was this weird look to the animations that the frame rate didn't seem to slow, but there was this jerky it's, kind yeah. of not stop again, not stop motion, but it's like there were frames missing or something. Yes, in, in the animations, um, which gave it kind of this stiff, not you know, uncanny valley type uh, mm-hmm. type look. And it's yeah, really uh, really odd, but I suppose that's just a f- uh, well, a facet of two things: the engine changes that took place uh, <laughs> and. And yeah, the fact that this was a 2008 game, but it, mm. it was tough to take in 2015, I've got to say. Whenever I find myself giving a free pass to slightly older games with bad animation, I just I remember the the cutter animations in Soul Calibur 2. Uh, also mm. Calibur 1 even, sorry. And how stunning they were. And how there's really no excuse for, <laughs> for other games to have bad animation. But yeah, I know what you mean. It's really strange. Like It, it looks like it's dropping frames, but it's not. Um, yeah, but, but weird it, yeah, sort of stuttering. Yeah. There's no the sort of slowdown. It's just like yeah, yeah. It, it's it's like it's halfway between a fully animated game and one where it's just not no you know no mm. in between animations. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to kind of get the characters from one pose to another, it's yeah. Mm. There's definitely a strange look to it. Mm-hmm. Outside of cutscenes, though, I thought the environment artist did a really good job with depth of the places that you visit and explore. And I thought and and, and going back to it after what seven years, it. Mm. I, yeah, it's, it's clearly aged, but it's it still. I think it, it it holds up in that it, it has mm. a, a a solid art style, and yeah. it's execute and it's executed well. I certainly there's certain things. There's nothing that blows you away, but you you go back and you look at it and you think you know that 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 it, it creates a sense of place. You know, it feels it it feels to a certain extent real and mm. uh, so like like somewhere that. Um, you know, could exist in the in in the real world that isn't isn't just a sort of fiction uh, figment of a games designer's imagination. I think they've done a yeah, good yeah. job with that. Yeah. And, and the the um, second level where you go into the um, kind of newly discovered uh, super ship. There again, yeah, you're right, Brian. There is a sense with the way it's all kind of designed, and not necessarily the level design because you're kind of just moving room to room. But there's a sense that they thought about, okay, this is how this all pieces together. This is how we're gonna, you know basically kind of make it look different to the rest of the game and make it feel like you are in a um, ship. In some ways, with the way that they designed the environments and the way that the different art styles they had for different areas, it reminded me a bit, and I don't think Enslaved took anything from this game necessarily directly, but it reminded me a bit of that game in terms of there there were different areas that had different feels and looks to them yeah. um, and they did they did a futuristic world in a maybe not as, as straightforward a way as as could have been done otherwise it's certainly not as bright and colorful as it's enslaved no, it's got no, that um it has its moments, unreal engine yeah, muddiness to it hasn't it but mm. uh, I, I think another thing that probably helped it in terms of um sort of environment creation is that uh, the occasional moments where uh, camera the camera put pans out 
or the camera sort of moves into a, a fixed position. Mm. I think that obviously is you know that helps them create a kind of storyboard effect, I guess, for yeah. for yeah. certain scenes, and that I think that adds to the sort of filmic uh, quality of it. Uh, but I, you know, but as you said, we will get to controls later. I don't think that that necessarily pans out in <laughs> in mm-hmm. in the actual gameplay yeah. sense. You, you probably wanted more control over the camera. Another aspect that I'm not sure how I feel about. I've I've read uh, in putting together the notes for for um, for the show quite a lot of positivity towards the uh, the voice acting in the game and certainly I did notice when the, uh, the credits <laughs> I was came up. say no. Yeah. <laughs> really? No. saying, oh, oh, it's great Crispin Freeman's in it. He does a really good job and he's my favourite voice actor and it's like... You see, Crispin what? Freeman's a weird one because he's done tons of voices but it's mostly for rubbish anime and worse games. <laughs> I'm pre- I think he's had a, a few sort of standout roles but basically, yeah, he's 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 very prolific but Mm. you know I had a look at his CV he's not um, he's not voiced anyone I've I've ever felt strongly about (laughs) I mean um, you know Robert Picardo doing Loki I mean he's a decent actor but he's not in this yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and then you know and then you've got Steve Bloom Robin Atkin Downs and Nolan North are all in it but they just yeah. they're all just bit parts aren't they no, Nolan North is yeah Warrior mm. 1 and, yeah. and such, such or Warrior 5 or something yeah Steve Bloom yeah. just voices some of the uh, random soldiers I don't know who Robin Atkin Downs is in this oh um, I can't remember off the top of my head some, yeah but, but again it's definitely not a, a main role and you know and they're they're all really talented voice actors. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I, I have this long-running theory about Steve Bloom. Basically, he's never been in a bad game. Um, <laughs> but, the exception uh, that proves the rule. Yeah. Are, are there maybe a couple of games on that list that test the theory? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it was weird seeing the credits roll because I hadn't picked out any any voice actors that I, I'd mm. recognised. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's not the worst voice acted game I've ever heard, but... And sure, some of it is what is being said. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was sometimes say the script doesn't, doesn't necessarily it? hold together all that well. But but yeah, there were moments uh, with Boulder, particularly in Loki, as you say, where um, yeah, I, I wasn't bowled over by this set of voice acting at all. And so to see mm-hmm. so many na- familiar names and stalwarts of of the gaming and uh, animation industry uh, come up, I was I was surprised to say the least. I don't know if it's just a thing with um, games or uh, animation as well. Like in a a film, a real film for grown-ups, you can tell when like a good actor has obviously seen that like a script is basically garbage, but they're having fun with it and they're enjoying it being garbage. Whereas, like with something like in the case of something like Too Human, that's probably what is going on, but it's just much more difficult to tell <laughs> because like the actor might be like grinning as they're you know, in the studios are reading out all these ridiculous lines, but then mm. you, you take that voice sample and you put it on, you know, Boulder's potato stern face. Um, <laughs> and, so, you know, all that, that sense of fun is lost completely. Yeah. Um, and I think maybe that's, that's just what ha- what's happening is that by not being able to see the actor's face as they're doing this, you, you can't, you're filtering out that yeah, sense of fun behind it, tell. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think Baldur as a character does have as much personality as a potato, doesn't it? And I think the, mm. that, that's generally the problem with the, the the script and the character as a whole. It's just it's all a bit mm. it's all a bit serious and all a bit po-faced. I think the yeah. only time it threatens to get uh, good is the scene the, 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 after the first um, sort of main mission where you're ha- they're having a feast mm. and all the different characters are being introduced. And it's, it's a, again, it's a bit 
it's a bit laboured, and they, they, you know, they go mm. out their way to introduce as many people as possible. But it, you, you think, okay, there might be some uh, levity in this. There might be a bit of sort of humour uh, and sort of self self referential knowingness to it. But it's kind of it, they <laughs> they use the the language of the of the Norse gods, and they 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 stick into this very sort of almost official English style don't they or yeah, yeah, proper yeah, English much, yeah. Yeah. in the way that in the way that something like <laughs> Thor does the Marvel film Thor does but, yes. yeah. but yeah. that has a sense of humour uh, again yeah you can tell that's someone who knows better but is yeah, yeah you know like it's like you know John Malkovich in Con Air for God's sake it's like, <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. obviously he's above it but you can tell he's having fun doing it whereas yeah, yeah. Crispin Freeman's reading out all this ridiculous stuff for two human <laughs> doesn't necessarily yeah. come across it's weird. Well, they were, they were, I mean, maybe these actors were told, you know, this is a, this is a, a serious story. Uh, <laughs> this is going to be well, a deep. Yeah, Dennis Dyke's losing his mind. Like, why aren't they taking it seriously? It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it, it definitely is the first in the trilogy, uh, Brian. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the, the other thing I, I wanted to point out now is as good a time as any is um, the level where you're playing alongside Thor and you're uh, you're yes. headed in to find find Loki basically. Um, Thor and Loki have some kind of nice hateful lines throwing at one another um, <laughs> that are that kind of teeter on the edge of that. Okay, they're having fun with this. This is a bit ridiculous. Yeah. The problem is the levels are relatively long. There's only four of them in the game, and each of them is a good couple of hours, two three mm-hmm. hours. Mm-hmm. So you end up hearing the same back and forth banter between <laughs> the two of them, time and time again. Surely Thor only needs to be told once that he's a fool because Loki's not really there. <laughs> but I heard it every five minutes throughout the entire thing. Thor is unbearable in most of the cutscenes as well. Yes, the the sort of final act, if you like, the the final few cutscenes that are story based, did did an awful lot of that. Where it's like, okay, we're only really introducing hell here because we need someone for you to fight at the end of the game. But it's not going to yeah. be Loki because that's in the next one, folks. <laughs> and it's painfully obvious when you know they go to this whole long through this whole long cutscene of Loki escaping and all his followers coming to rescue him and mm. he escapes and they sacrifice themselves etc. Yeah. And then the next cutscene you see, basically you realise okay he's going to to hell because you've set him up as a bad guy but you're not ready for us to fight him yet. Mass Effect again. <laughs> there's an aspect of that, but they they in in that case, and again, I don't want to don't want to go into spoilers for a game we're not covering. But um, in that case, they give you the enemy to fight and work out a way of carrying the story on. They don't bait and switch you with the enemy at the end of the game and give you yeah. a much less satisfying narrative uh, payoff. <laughs> the impetus for us hating Hell wasn't it? Hell. Um She's the one who like reanimated your wife really badly. But again, she only tells you that right before you're about to fight her. So it's yeah. not like you know that that's why Baldur's <laughs> gone in there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Hell is daughter of Loki. She, she yeah. by extension of Loki's betrayal, has betrayed you. But yeah, mm. there's this whole aspect of, uh, again, now is as good a time as any to kind of peel full on into story. We meet Baldur on his first mission back into duty after an absence. It, it transpires his wife has been... Uh, murdered mm. and uh, and in his catatonic state he's he's unable to deal with that and and so it takes him a while to recuperate and it transpires later on that she she wasn't murdered he was murdered and she killed herself because she couldn't bear to live without him oh, uh, right. and and she had been resurrected many many times but every time had killed herself and hell gleefully reveals this to to Balder 
um, and is obviously happy to point out that she committed suicide and therefore, in terms of the kind of religious background to that, uh, loses her, her dignity and, and etc. Yeah, yeah, for, yeah. for having done that. And, yeah. and so Hell, Hell shows uh, Balder, Nyana, his, his wife, basically committing suicide uh, in, in front of him. Hell definitely gives Balder reason to want to to um, mm. to take her down, but it's all just I'm going to show you this now, so you want to kill me. But he's already there, and it's yeah, it gets very muddy, and it's it's the payoff to something that was set up literally a minute beforehand, mm-hmm. um, which is a little unfortunate in terms of the way the kind of game flows through. So you spend uh, the the four missions. The first mission, um, you are investigating these larger, more powerful robots that are attacking humans and why they are attacking humans, all in the backdrop of this wider war going on between um, Aesir and one of the other realms. Um, and there are all of the other, as we've mentioned, all of the other Aesir, the, the sons of Odin, um, as many of them are, who are holding council and deciding how to take on this war and, and what where to send uh, their their warriors. And and you've also got then uh, Freya you're introduced to early on, who seems to be a love interest for Balder, but that doesn't really go anywhere. Yeah. Um, <laughs> clear, clearly they had a relationship that was, was put on hold when Balder married Nyanna mm. and, and, and was married, obviously. And therefore... Uh, in, in a different relationship. And she's an adept, and they are members of the Aesir who communicate with the Norns in the cyber world. But, mm-hmm. we, I mean, the Norns are effectively the witches of, yeah. of, of Norse mythology. But we don't really get more explanation as to who they are, why they're there, except there's this prophecy. And it's clear there's lots of stuff going on in the story. I think they do an excellent job, though. In that first level, I have to mm, say, yeah. I really I think they, they marry uh, tutorial and yeah. scene setting really really well i love the the fact that it throws you straight into the game and throws you straight into combat and then mm. there are little moments where it takes you out and little uh, flashbacks uh to to certain things you know just little story beats or you know one bit i, I thought was particularly smart was just when you come to the first uh, well which is the well that you use to communicate with mm. the norn it flashes back and uh tells you about how you first met the norn and how oh, they gave yeah, you a yeah. device and then yeah. as it cuts back to present day you know that device pops off your back and runs off and opens up the channel to the the i just thought that stuff was really well yeah, done yeah, and yeah, i thought yeah. they really weaved you know because they had a lot to get across in that in those opening out a few hours yeah, and yeah i thought they did it exceptionally well reminded me a lot of the witcher 2 actually the start of that mm. uh i don't know if you played that it's the, the way they mix you know, present day story and flashback and things. Yeah, it was yeah. it was really well done. And they also do an interesting thing with the um, the cutscenes where sometimes it's just straightforward. This is a cutscene. You are being shown it from the perspective we want to show you. Other times it will be kind of like there's this dynamic thing where it will trigger when you go into a well or or when you get to certain places. There's one particular conversation you have with uh, Tyr um, in in Aesir where you just walk up to him and he starts talking and you can walk mm. away at any time you can walk around him which obviously you know jump you, into the air and spin around yeah you, you can ruin the cinematic aspect of it but but it's interesting that it's there as this kind of dynamic oh you can walk up have this cutscene and walk away if you like yeah what it did do for me was kind of muddy the waters on okay 
do, do you want to show me this stuff? Is it important enough to give it a kind of cutscene and give it its own space and frame it and present it in the way you want to, or and and it not, and also be not skippable, um, which I don't usually have a problem with. In this, I kind of did because there were moments where the cutscenes I felt were getting pretty long and I wasn't getting a lot from them. Yeah, and sure enough, there was no way to skip them. And and by that I mean some of the <laughs> sort of transition ones, even like the uh, the cutscene that plays every time you die that is a cutscene because it's not a loading screen because there's no loading to be done the game's still running so Mm -hmm. um, that type of cutscene where would have been nice to skip and yet there's others where actually there's quite important conversations going on with Freya or with uh, Tyr and and, and other characters where you can just completely miss them Um, there's other stuff that is nicely done where you might go through a well into the cyber world and they don't give you a cutscene, they don't pull you out of uh, what you're doing, but they'll just put a voiceover from um, one, two, or three of the Norn at the same time. Um, And it just gives you extra backstory, extra information. It talks about the prophecy and how they believe that that you are uh, somehow special. You are able to to understand things that other other of the gods don't, basically. Mm. And it's all hinted at and never really explained, but there's a nice aspect to that of just getting a voiceover that just reminds you that there's something else going on in the game uh, without distracting you from what you've actually gone in there to do. And there's a nice sort of, um, when you do, yeah, so when you mid-mission, like you say, you find one of those points and the the robot spider gets off your back and you <laughs> get you go in cyberspace. Usually, like, the, the, the guys that are with you will make some comment, like, oh, yeah, like, just guard him while he's doing whatever he's doing. <laughs> Which is nice, because I think it's one of those things that's, you know, uh, one of those things in games that you sort of, like... Yeah, you sort of going into cyberspace or whatever, and you sort of thinking, "What's my guy doing in the what, real what's world?" What's everyone else doing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what's going on while I'm just sort of sticking my face into this pool? Into and, a pool of water. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, absolutely. It's nice to to pay heed to that and actually yeah. acknowledge that's happening. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there's some other nice touches actually with the the lines that are said by the, your compatriots, which are often just kind of. Uh, bog standard soldiers who are fighting alongside you, mm-hmm. uh, the wolves and um, the kind of heavier um, characters that are fighting alongside you. Yeah, um, where they are referring to stuff you've done, and um, mm-hmm. y- you know if, if you're doing well and kind of wiping the floor with the enemies occasionally, either by design or by chance, they will you know be saying, "Oh yeah, we're gonna you know uh, kick some ass and that sort of thing," and, and they will kind of. Um, they'll reflect the fact that you're handily dispatching all the enemies, whereas yeah. other times where you've had two or three of them drop and, and you see the um, the angels, uh, sorry, the Valkyries come down mm. from the, the sky, you, you will start to hear them talk about how terrified they are and how not everyone's going to make it and they're going to yeah. end up dying, etc. Which to is Valhalla, weird, because <laughs> when they can see the Valkyries coming down, you just be like, mm. oh, well, that's so it's definitely all true. Like we could, <laughs> yeah, let's not. just throw ourselves <laughs> in, into the fight, and you know, yeah. sorted. <laughs> Speaking of which, actually, there was a, a really nice cut, nice cut scene towards the end of the game where, mm-hmm. when you're going into hell, basically every soldier that's gone with you, this is a suicide mission. Uh, it's kind mm-hmm. of the the tone of it all, uh, and, oh, and yeah, the zombies on, are coming towards them. There's a really nice one where all the time you've seen, sometimes in cutscenes, sometimes just in the backdrop, the Valkyries come down and pick 
just the random soldiers up and mm-hmm. the other soldiers look on and kind of in awe mm-hmm. and realization and talk mm-hmm. about how, how beautiful the Valkyrie is that's descending, mm-hmm. etc. Um, and there's this really nice one where there's this overwhelming number of, uh, of reanimated dead coming at this, uh, this one soldier mm-hmm. and, and he's fending them off, trying to allow the Valkyrie to take, um, his, oh, right. his yeah. fellow soldier's uh, body up, yeah. and uh, and she kind of looks right at him, and then and then takes him off, even though he's alive, yeah. um, to spare him from becoming one of Hell's mm-hmm. uh, minions. Because by that point, you're fighting. It actually says for some of the this kind of mini boss, more serious enemies, um, elite wolf soldier, basically that you're fighting the, the reanimated uh, mm. soldiers you've been fighting with. You're now fighting against. Uh, mm. Which was one of the really nice touches. That was one of the moments where I thought, okay, you know, yeah, that's that's nicely done without being too heavy-handed or or over the top. I thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, should we talk about the Valkyrie thing now? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> so I don't mind it, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> I always get shot down for this. Okay, so number of things. One, I mean, you know, there's this whole conversation you can have about it about how. Like the inconvenience of death in games, right? Mm, yeah. Like I think I think the only problem with the Valkyrie thing is just the way it's presented. Like so you so you take it out of the game for what, twenty seconds? Uh, it's it's actually probably less than that. It seems okay. long, but actually it's yeah. probably like fifteen seconds. It's not yeah, yeah, that yeah. long. Like if that was a loading screen, you'd be alright with it. You were you know, everyone was alright with it in Bloodborne and they would you know. Yeah, coming off Bloodborne, this game suffers in many ways, but loading screens, <laughs> or, or rather death screens, is not one of them. Yeah, um, and yet, you know, on the other end, you've got things like in Bioshock, the uh, Vita Chambers, but they just made death meaningless, because you're just like, well, I'll just be teleported five metres away, and then I'll just carry on, and it'll be fine. <laughs> so that's just, yeah, that just makes, you know, death completely meaningless. What two, yeah, like I say, two humans' only mistake is that it's just an unskippable cutscene, whereas like, say in Destiny, when you die and, you know, you've got like the, you know, 30 seconds to resurrect timer. Because there's a timer and you sort of, and because of the way Destiny is, you sort of straight away you go, well, that's a gameplay decision. That's so, like, you know, I'm playing with other people, but it's to make sure that there is a, you know, if I fall, then the team's kind of on the back foot for a little bit until, you know, either someone can revive me or the timer runs out. Whereas here it's just like you've just done this to be annoying like it doesn't (laughs) again i think if it you know if you had games where you could have four people in it it would kind of make more sense because again it's just that thing of putting your team on the back foot for a little minute but when there's only two of you like if one of you dies you kind of just have to like usually the other person follows pretty quickly and then you're just both waiting for the time to to the animation to play out um i also think if i also think the game would have got an easier ride now that we have smartphones because we didn't in 2008 and i think you know everyone says again bloodborne everyone's like yeah well whenever i die and it takes ages to load that's just you know time to check twitter um, <laughs> and i think you'd, you know people would have said the same thing about too human if it had come out a couple of years later like it doesn't really make sense because obviously you, you're not actually dying um, yeah. so like it makes sense that all your you know your human soldiers are all getting picked up and taken away but like you the player just reappearing and like you say you, you reappear and you can still see the glow in the sky of where the Valkyries disappeared that's supposedly just taking you up to Valhalla that's kind of stupid I think the thing is the time it takes because it, it is you know people are talking oh 30 seconds it really isn't you mm-hmm. know, if, if you time it it feels long don't get me wrong it feels long mm. I think the thing that bothered me about it wasn't actually so much the time mm-hmm. that that's a penalty to the the uh, player that mm-hmm. that's fine death death in many games there is a penalty to be paid the weird thing i found is 
there's a penalty to me, the player, but there's no penalty, seemingly, to the character. The fight doesn't reset. It's not like a checkpoint where you've got to redo something and it's saying, no, no, you should be able to play this section of the game without dying. Yeah. If you can't, like in a Call of Duty game, you'll just get reset to the last checkpoint and you get Mm -hmm. another shot at it. Mm -hmm. Um, It's saying that we have given you everything you need to get through this next five minutes of gameplay or whatever it might be. Mm. If you can't, you're going to have to keep redoing it until you can because we know that, that this is doable, you know, it's feasible. In Bioshock, to be fair, I never played with Vita Chambers on. I always just reset to the last save point. I get in that, yeah, where, where you're just being reset and nothing in the world has, has reset. You're just 100 yards away from where you need to be. So it's yeah. just, well, I've got to run back to the fight. Yeah, it would be the same thing as this. Mm. My, my issue with it actually is there is no penalty. So it's literally just wasting my time because yeah. I, I died. And, and I, I get that. That's still a penalty. It's still, you know, okay, try not to die because you're going to waste time. It's just there's nothing in the game. So it... And the fact that it doesn't have to reload because, as as we mentioned, mm-hmm. the game carries on anyway. It's not a loading screen, so why is it punishing me for that? And the other, I suppose, the other problem is if that was a skippable cutscene, what's the point in death in the game? Why? Why exactly, am I ever yeah. dying? Why do I have a health meter? Yeah, it's like they they knew they had to put something in to make death like you know a bit of a setback, yeah. but there was no technical reason. No, for it to be a no. setback so they just kind of yeah like they've presented it in this really arbitrary way like conceived yeah 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 like i say something like destiny yeah. because there's like there are certain situations where there is a timer and then others where there uh where there isn't you know that's a design choice that they've made in specific yes. situations yeah. and you kind mm. of like right okay that makes sense whereas here it just feels quite arbitrary i guess i don't know if you'll agree but i, I also have found that that a lot of the time the the, the deaths or the, you know the the reasons you were dying were sometimes unfair because it for, for me playing the game having so I played the game through seven years ago since then I've only really ever played another sort of dungeon crawler like this it would be Diablo which had um uh, which is I suppose where I now I've referenced my experience to but going back mm. to it now you know that it obviously feels like Diablo in in how it plays and the whole idea of you know collecting loot and upgrading your character but it mm. feels to work as if it works on a much more accelerated leveling system Mm. so that you'll be in one arena battle and you will be wiping the floor with the characters or the enemy characters then you'll move on five minutes and you'll just be being punished uh, and you'll you'll be dropping substantial amounts of health really quickly and there's Mm. no way around that until you defeat them in which case it releases you know new upgrade materials new armor new weapons that bump you back up and then the next fight is easy again and then the next screen on it becomes hard it, to me it felt like the that they were they were not they didn't have the sort of difficulty curve smooth enough to yeah. uh, to to create a, a, an enjoyable uh, experience as you're playing the level and that's why i th- i think the Val- valkyrie thing became annoying because mm. certainly on this playthrough i would go through long stretches of the early game not dying at all and then hit one or two points where you're do- doing it four or five times in succession mm. just while you're chipping these uh, yeah. characters mm-hmm. down until you finally beat them you can upgrade a little bit and you know it becomes easy for another five minutes but it, it just it just felt all the balance felt wrong to me the other aspect uh, about that that just hearing you talk about it I, I realized is if if you fight a really tough battle and you kind of get through it by the skin of your teeth with very little health left 
it's completely random when health drops, and oftentimes, I mean, if if you if you can pick up health and you run past it, you'll automatically pick it up. So you get through a battle by the skin of your teeth. You know the next battle is going to be tough because the last one was, or or you you expect it to be. So the, at a certain point, you could see uh, players getting to the point where they think, well, why should I even try? Why not just stand still until I'm dead and then I get reset with full health and mm. I can carry on? There's because you have no control over certain aspects of how much health you have, uh, sure, you can you can just not get hit, but I, f- I found it took a long time to get used to the flow of gameplay and get used to how much I should be dodging and when I could attack, because with the twin-stick shooter aspect, it's not like a button-press attack where you can choose when you're going to attack necessarily. I know it sounds mm. odd, but it felt sometimes like I was trying to attack, and before, although I'd input the command, as it were, I'd flick the stick towards the enemy I wanted to attack, before I attacked, they started and finished their attack on me. So therefore, <laughs> I was in this kind of weird situation where it's a third-person brawler, but I can't control my character with sufficient dexterity, if you like, to be able to manage my health properly, and I'm not given any option to manually do something about topping that up. I wonder if, if there might have been some way to sacrifice some credits you know, the currency to refill your health or something that might have, even if it was expensive, would have given you that option um, to do that. Uh, that that might have made me feel a bit better about it. But it just had this weird situation where it felt unfair or I, I was left thinking, okay, this either feels unfair or it feels poorly designed. I'm not sure which, and I don't know if one's worse than the other. Mm. The game, yeah, doesn't really give you any sort of reliable way to mitigate damage, does it? It's kind of... You know, like there'll be a, a bunch of enemies coming at you and you just have to kind of look at them and it's like, well, those two jerks at the back are going to start shooting missiles in a second, so I'll kind of use the enemies between me and them to sort of dash over there and then try, yeah, try and get them yeah. taken out. But it's, but yeah, like if you, I don't know if you're, a, you know, if you're using guns quite a lot, you can shoot missiles out of the air and stuff, but like you have to really be on top of things in order to completely avoid getting hit. It's just yes, it's yeah. pretty much impossible. So yeah, you sort of you do this prioritization of of who you're going to try and take down first and stuff, but yeah, like you can't just reliably dodge really. I found I found area attacks were impossible to get away from. I don't know if they were, yeah. this was a class specific thing, but you you couldn't you couldn't run or roll fast enough to get away from them, and and the you sort of jump high and airtime that you get would you know nine times out of ten you'd end up falling and getting hit by the sort of knockback of the wave is that the yeah the guys with the big hammers who smash yeah, them down on the ground yeah. yeah you have to jump over the shockwave don't you which yeah, yeah. Um, bad timing on my part but even if you're <laughs> there you need to just just to try and roll away or run away from them there was a couple of times when i was on a sliver of health and i'm literally just you know benny hill running away from them <laughs> but they're, they're following so close behind and i'm just you know and it was you know, death was inevitable, but you try and find a way out, and there is no strategy for it. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's another great example, actually, Brian. Is you you realise you're on very little health, so you run away from the group of enemies, and then you think, "What am I running for? I can't heal. Yes. <laughs> the only way I'm going to get to heal is if I kill one of these enemies, and they happen to drop a health uh, orb, and I have no control over that either. So it <laughs> felt like, well, and, and equally well, I'm thinking, well, I don't really want to die if I can help it because I'm just going to be reset and it's kind of just waste of time so it's there yeah, it's this weird situation of if there was a specific move you could do or something that would if you pulled it off even if it was difficult to do or something refill your health there'd be this kind of risk reward aspect to you have some control over trying to fill your health but 
you know, it, maybe it's difficult to do or it takes time or whatever it might be. So you could run away from a group of enemies, initiate that move to refill your health. Or The, the bioengineer does have something for health regeneration, but again, it, it's yeah. quite a subtle sort of overtime effect um, yeah. that's supposed mm-hmm. to be like, um, like it affects everyone in the party or right. you know, like yeah. say you and one other person. Um, yeah, so I think it's meant to be this, it, yeah. yeah, it's meant to be this sort of subtle, sort of generally helpful um, effect, but it yeah, doesn't really do much. Well, I guess I guess that makes sense because the idea would be your bioengineer would be somewhere away from the the heat of the action, exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. constantly doing that through the whole fight. So the yeah. idea would be that your health would fall much much sl- more slowly, exactly. or even not at all. So yeah, yeah that makes sense. And mm. um, we've kind of got to this point, and, and I, I have just mentioned what type of of, of game we're we're looking at, but um, this is a third-person action RPG that that looks ostensibly like a sort of third-person brawler game. I think the, the giveaway fairly early on as to how it's different is obviously the twin-stick um, shooter type of controls mm. kind of do feel like that sort of uh, that MMO or Diablo uh, mouse pointer click to attack type situation. It's not a straightforward brawler. The camera, that was what I was going to say. The oh, camera yeah, yeah. gives it away that um, if you look at the control menu, if you press down on the D-pad, I believe, you can change your camera position and you pull back to like, you can pull back as far as like an isometric. If you yeah, want, yeah. Which is what I ended up doing. I wanted the camera kind of further back mm-hmm. because I guess paradoxically, if, if you can't really dodge attacks all that well, it shouldn't really matter if the camera's further back to see what's coming at you. Mm. Um, but... Uh, I felt the default camera quite close in made me feel like I was playing uh, Devil May Cry or, or, well, Bloodborne having just come off it. You know, it made me Mm -hmm. feel like I was playing something where I was that close down in the action. Uh, And you're not. So that kind of immediately set me on the the thought pattern of, okay, this is going to be more RPG-like, more, you know, CRPG-like, if you like. The problem with the close camera is... Because it's very easy to sort of wade into the center of a group of enemies, mm-hmm. and then you've got tons of guys behind you that you can't see, um, yeah. and then you're sort of left. Like if say you know everyone on the screen is dead, you you will often just sort of pull the right stick sort of towards the camera and hope that it locks onto someone that you may or may not be there. You can't really see. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah, so that having that um, you know pulling the camera back quite away is uh, actually really helpful. Yeah. Yeah, I guess in in a kind of like Batman Arkham Asylum, like when you get into the action, the camera does pull back, doesn't it? So you can yeah, see yeah. where the next enemy is and, and head in that direction to hit them. And that's exactly what, what mm. this does. The mm. idea is that actually I found when fights were going my way the most, it's because I was keeping the enemies separated um, yeah. and, and moving between them from side to side across the screen. Mm-hmm. And then once I got the kind of fury attack you have where I would bring the enemies in and then hammer my RB and uh, and use one of the um, ruiners. I think are they the the RB ones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and yeah, that that would be an AOE attack for me. The the one yeah. that I'd chosen was an AOE attack, uh, and would do quite a lot of damage by the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, to the point where I actually had a a giant white warrior come in and start um, kicking <laughs> enemies around the screen for me, um, which was really cool. Yeah, I mean, there is definitely a, a meaningful level of. Um sort of you know crowd control and placement and stuff that's that you do have to consider um yeah, it, is, yeah, it is pretty smart in that regard it re- reminds me a little bit of dynasty warriors um yes, for that kind of yeah, thing which again is you know a game that a lot of people sort of write off but um you know there's a lot to it once you start playing at a higher level yeah it definitely has that feel where you feel like early on in the game 
these enemies are pretty easy. I can really struggle here. And then they start throwing in the ranged attackers. And there's actually something that felt weird at first, but actually I realized why they did it later on, which is your mob enemies that just run at you and and melee you, they're fairly weak. It's one or two hits for most of them. They'll have heavies amongst them. Mm -hmm. And the ranged attackers, the paradox here is they actually have more health or more defense. Yeah. So take longer to take down. Whereas I kind of felt like, well, that's opposite to most, you know, in even the mm-hmm. character classes in the game. Mm-hmm. The the ranged commando has less health than the the tank defender that would go in there. But the reason that they do that is you can stand there and you can wail on all these enemies, but the ranged attackers hit hard and have a lot of defense. Um, so actually what I ended up doing was trying to get round to them, but it's not as easy as just take out the ranged guys first because it will take you so long to do that that all that mob's back with you. So you've really got to start being smart yeah, you sort you of flip it. between the two, don't you? Yeah, like, yeah, sort yeah. of get a couple of hits on the range guy, then dart back out, take out some more of the melee guys, dart back yeah. in, and because the, the um, that sort of closing attack you do um, when you're distance from target does a little bit more damage than just a regular attack, doesn't it? Yeah. So it's yeah, kind of sometimes momentum, yeah. yeah. So it's sometimes beneficial to be sort of darting between characters, even though you're not necessarily killing them. Um, just sort of, you know, darting between a bunch, like getting one hit on each of them and sort of doing like a circuit around them and stuff. The only things I, th- I can think of that are similar with regards to like, you know, the closing attacks and sort of herding people around and stuff. There was the um, I never played it, but the uh, Wolverine game on the yeah, it's on yeah, the three sixty and the PS three, yeah. which I yeah did really well with that whole yeah like leaping between people. Um, yeah, it's, and it's a great sort of God of War take on, um, yeah, on yeah 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 on a Wolverine game. Yeah, 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 it has that aspect to it definitely. Yeah. Um, and for all its faults, Dragon Age two. Um, did a similar thing. If you were a distance from a target, you'd have like a special closing attack that did a bit more damage. And again, there was that cool sensation of like leaping between targets and yeah. taking them all out. Um, but yeah, Two Human did it actually did that uh, really nicely. And um, just in the way it gets you to consider, um, yeah, you know, spacing and positioning and stuff. And especially if you've got, um, as you often do, one of the big sort of troll enemies with either the hammer or or with oh, yeah, the, yeah. Um, the kind of mines that it shoots around the place, the grenades. Um, and then a load of other enemies as well. You kind of had to work out how to separate them because you definitely didn't want to be anywhere near that hammer while you were trying to deal with smaller enemies. It also, I thought it was really great that those enemies' uh, explosions and, and the hammer would uh, knock other enemies down. So you can, yes. again, use that to your advantage. <laughs> if you've got a mob of them, then just jump up in the air as that hammer hits. They'll all be affected. You won't. Mm. Um, and it would do, I think it did do a little bit of damage to them, but more important was the knockdown effect it had, which was... Uh, which was really handy in some of those big sort of wide arena battles where you had two or three trolls and mm. just loads of other enemies that you needed to kind of be able to to deal with on your own terms. Is there one thing we've not talked about is when you have um, twin pistols, you can target two enemies independently with them, can't you? Now, I did I not ne- know that. I never fully sussed out how this worked. Like it, because <laughs> um, I kind of, because obviously, you, yeah, you're aiming two weapons independently, but you're still aiming them both with the right stick. Like you'll aim them sort of both um, at the same time, and then one will sort of lock onto one enemy, and then another one will lock onto another. And mm. it kind of, I don't know, like it's it's fun enough to use. It sounds like it should be really annoying, especially once you start <laughs> getting, you know, concerned with like. Like you know, you want to be specific about which enemies you're hitting. The um the targeting system altogether was still a bit of a mystery to me. I'm sure you mm. guys have a better handle on it, but I was uh, a defender class, so using mostly melee. But right. some of the boss fights, I found I had to use weapons, or one of them primarily. But um, but most of the boss fights, I found I was actually having to use ranged weapons, so I was using the rifle. 
your right stick isn't your camera. Your right stick is your melee attack. If you hold it in a direction, mm-hmm. you attack. If, however, I was using the rifle, say I was using the... Um, so it's got two attack modes. Uh, right trigger is a laser uh, in, in that case, so it's got constant fire. And then your left trigger is... Uh, you charge up a, a grenade essentially, and so what I was doing was holding down as I as I got ready and loaded my grenade into the into the gun, um, and then I'd have to flick the right stick in the direction I wanted to attack to target it properly mm. before I let go. Right. Because if you hold it in the direction, obviously you start doing a melee attack and <laughs> ruin your chances of uh, of actually hitting anything at all. Mm. In general, I didn't use the the rifles at all. I just stuck to pistols, and I, th- I mostly use them as a kind of devil may cry type of combo buffer. Really, yeah, yeah well, you, you could juggle with them as well, yeah. couldn't you? Mm-hmm. That was essentially. It. I, th- I mean, you certainly you could unlock some pretty powerful uh, pistols, but mm-hmm. the uh, certainly for boss battles and things like that, the, the, the length of time it took to whittle down any damage from the from the enemies was just. Uh, Patient sapping, I found. Mm. <laughs> I think I think that whatever way you tackle them, they're a war of attrition. And and that, uh, on the control system specifically, the melee control system, um, I, I just found that it, while it works, it worked well for the smaller enemies and yeah. then some of the bigger trolls. Especially if you could just sort of leap up into the air and start doing some air attacks yeah. on them, it was fine. When you got to boss fights, it just became it just it feels you f- you feel so futile just pushing a stick at. At, a, at an enemy and just holding Especially it, especially when there. they can do so much yeah. damage to yeah. you as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah it yeah. becomes. And I mean, you can do the double push and the, you know try a few different things. But I think when you when you're it, that control system is perfect for dealing with lots of enemies in the way that the, the Batman Arkham control method is simple yeah, but yeah, great. Yeah. It looks great in motion, yeah, yeah. but when it is just you against one other main character, yeah. it just it just. It, it, you feel robbed of any options essentially you're just pushing forward and hoping yeah, and waiting yeah. it's not yeah. it's um, not fulfilling everlasting hate i nearly ran out of patience uh, with because i i sensed early on i just started to use the ruiner attacks quite a bit just in the run-up to that boss fight and so i um i i kind of worked out that if you hit him with a ruiner attack you'll actually stand still and take massive amounts of melee damage <laughs> um, but I ran out of the mob enemies to get my combo meter up yeah. um, high enough to use a runer attack uh, before I'd got him down uh, much below half health. So the first half of the fight went pretty quickly, although I did die a couple of times and was taking a lot of damage because I was able to string some combos together and then take quite a bit of his health down. The second half was just me running away, hitting him with grenades, not sure if I was doing any damage, and just having to keep it was literally as, as you say uh brian it was benny hill it was just literally <laughs> running away from him trying to get out rolling and running trying to get out of his range of attack uh turning around trying to aim in in my kind of ham-fisted way uh onto whichever of his weak spots seemed to be taking most damage and and just yeah um, chipping away at that health in uh, and for several minutes i was not sure i was doing any damage at all <laughs> Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't remember particularly enjoying any of the boss fights. I mean, I know uh, Destiny gets a lot of stick for a lot of the enemies just being bullet sponges, but um, no, too human really takes the <laughs> crown on that one, I think. So the other aspects we've mentioned, uh, character classes, there are, I believe, five. Bioengineer, mm-hmm. Commando, Defender, Champion, and Berserker. Yeah. I think that's your five. Um, and they all sit in fairly 
uh, standard MMO tropes, I, I guess. Kind of your your tank and and mm. your damage dealer and, and commando being kind of your uh, mage, I guess, and, and then your healer as well. So, but yeah, they kind of sit in in those areas. Uh, I played defender because high defense seemed to be the way to go if I wasn't going to have any kind of backup. Essentially, um, mm. and it, it, it worked relatively well. Um, I, I didn't die an excessive amount of times, I don't think, but that obviously sacrifices some damage dealing, etc. So. And there's further differentiation in the skill tree, not just from the hu- human cybernetic choice that you make, but also the fact that each that so you've got two skill trees. The first one is your um, your class skill tree, which has three kind of branches to it, and you kind of I found I had to pick one branch and just barrel down that. So look at the skills beforehand, pick your branch, and just keep going down that to get to the bottom. Um, and and then your other skill skill tree is is your humanity uh, cybernetic skill tree. Uh, and again, I I picked a side to go down on that and uh, didn't actually realize that was there until two thirds of the way through the game. Either <laughs> um, once I'd got to the bottom of my my main skill tree and thought. There's something going on with the lettering at the top here. It seems to suggest that there's something more to this. Hit the right trigger and found another skill tree, which was a bit strange. The, the Norn abilities are all um, only active in the in the cyber world, but you get a, a force push, a, a lift, um, the walk on water ability, and then the fire ability, which mm. uh, which burns down the sort of little tree stumps with all the purple. Um, which that that purple energy you don't realize to the end of the game what it actually is supposed to be. It's a Nidhogg force, I guess, isn't it? Um, yeah. That's pervading into the cyber world thanks to Loki and Hell. So yeah, th- those are nice touches. Um, sp- speaking of extra abilities, uh, never use Battle Cry once. I couldn't even t- I couldn't even tell you what that is. What is that? <laughs> so on, on your skill tree, there's uh, yellow ringed. Uh, skills and then mm-hmm. below that are some blue ringed skills. Right. The blue ringed skill, if you press your X button, it's a battle cry. And the one that I'd picked was just to draw all enemies towards yourself, which I was only the only one playing the game, so I had no need to use that. <laughs> uh, but uh, but yeah, so battle cry was your X ability. Uh, right. You okay. The X button again. Yeah, it's, there's just so much of this game that feels not not even badly explained, just not explained at all. Yeah. Uh, no, in, in terms of extra skill trees and and basically even in terms of just how to play the game there's a couple of screens come up at the beginning just with masses of information on them kind of explaining what buttons do and what the uh, runer attack was which as i say till halfway through the game i wasn't even using it at all um <laughs> and this uh, sentient weapon the left stick and right stick one as well and and given the way that what is explained in the game is explained i'm not entirely sure it would have necessarily <laughs> if it was just going to be text on the screen it would yeah. have necessarily been handled as well as brian you you pointed out some of the the way the world works was was explained really nicely and and quite subtly but nonetheless effectively whereas some of the the actual mechanics of the game was just no here's here's a screen of text read that and carry on and so if they would have just ended up doing that for everything that wasn't explained then maybe it was just better not to not to have done that but um, it did feel like there was more there to be to be had. I thought that menu uh, when you first get into it, it's like right. Let, let me just deal with my weapons and my armor, and then you realize no, there's four more tabs along there that you need to go and look at and <laughs> blueprints and all sorts. That, yeah. yeah. All right. So uh, as as mentioned previously, this game uh, had a lot of uh, controversy surrounding its its release in the couple of months leading up to release. Um, Dennis Dyack was. Uh, 
in his own words, taken aback by... Uh, so the the preview copies that were sent out a couple of months beforehand were the full game but it or the full length of the game, so the full story could be experienced, but it wasn't finished. Um, but because, essentially, previewers were able to see the credits or get to the end of the game, um, he felt a lot of the the previews ended up being reviews, people talking about their entire opinion of the game, despite mm-hmm. the fact it was an unfinished game. This prompted... Uh, Dennis, this this fact that people had made up their mind about the game before even playing it prompted uh, Dennis to go on to NeoGAF and to start a thread challenging people to identify themselves as for or against Too Human. He did it kind of knowingly that he pointed out that actually the only person who's played the game is him Mm -hmm. and all these people can't really have an opinion but given the amount of uh, again, in his words, hate that they are throwing at him and at the game and at his company. Um, he he wanted people to nail their to, to stand up and be counted. Were his words. Mm-hmm. Um, so he wanted them to say for or against in this forum thread he set up, and to agree that if general consensus was that the game was good, whose general consensus we know not. Um, that anyone who'd said against would would have a tag added to their account on NeoGAF that said for a month or two after the game, after this point had been reached where a decision was made on whether it was good or bad, uh, that said owned by two human. Uh, and if consensus was the game was bad, anyone who said for uh, would have a tag added that said owned by NeoGAF. Basically, his point was that, that a forum like NeoGAF uh, in in his opinion, was not being run properly, not being managed properly, and basically uh, 180 people who were making gifts of him and horrible comments about him, etc., should be being held accountable and weren't. Uh, <laughs> and thus started a one-man war against NeoGAF uh, that resulted in apparently one of... He, he called out a couple of moderators on the forum, one of whom um, said, okay, money where your mouth is, uh, let's let's put a Metacritic rating on this barometer of whether a game is good or not. Uh, let, is, is if the Metacritic rating is going to be better than any previous Silicon Knights game, then this forum moderator would donate a thousand dollars to charity. And if <laughs> if it was lower than, then Dennis should donate a thousand. And he came in and said, "No, you're you're um, twisting my original challenge, and let's stick to that." And basically, this horrible war of words that resulted in. Dennis Dyack being banned from NeoGAF. Um, uh, <laughs> Dennis Dyack having a, a somewhat joking, heated war of words with uh, the the podcasters and writers at uh, Electronic Gaming Monthly or Electronic mm-hmm. Gaming Magazine, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and this interview on One Up Yours where uh, Shane Bettenhausen and Garnet Lee in particular put some pretty stern questions to Dennis Dyack about what he was doing, why he was doing it, and and gave him the space to, to explain what he was doing. But um, yeah, he was he was going after gaming journalism and gaming forums, uh, in basically putting himself and his game against thousands of people on NeoGAF. <laughs> and it, in my eyes, I've got to say at the time, it a brave thing to do, don't get me wrong, but it seemed a little foolhardy. And I think it's fair to say in terms of the fact that this game does have this, uh, and Dennis has uh, this reputation now of uh, of being controversial, mainly because of his actions. Uh, it's It seemed like, let's call it an interesting thing to do. How's that? <laughs> I'll make no judgment beyond interesting. I mean, it's, it's bizarre because like, all right, so, you know, the movement for 
better ethics in games journalism has obviously spectacularly messed its pants over the last year. Um, <laughs> but you can see, you can see there's like a nugget of like something maybe once potentially worthwhile there. Mm. Like you know, like yeah, we should have a more accountable press. Yes, of course. Yes, like, yeah. <laughs> no yeah. one's ever disputed that point. Yeah. But trying to like get an entire like. He wants to control public discourse, basically, is what you're saying. By by having yeah. a go at people on a forum. Like yeah. how does how yeah. is that ever gonna end? How is that yeah. gonna <laughs> It's just but, I don't uh, get what he was trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. And and um basically he, he claimed that this was an experiment to see if he could make people on forums be accountable. Well the answer is obviously not. The whole point of some forums is that there is no accountability. Yeah. And I say point not in, in from my perspective, but that is that's why people go on to certain forums and and mm. say things that probably they wouldn't say face to face with someone. You know, they they yeah. uh, throw hate and uh, hateful language at people and about people onto mm-hmm. there because they can. There is no accountability. Yeah. And and again, there's a point to be made there. Maybe there should be, but we've seen this with um, you know certain forums where you have to use your real name, etc. And that's mm-hmm. then been repealed in in certain cases. And there are particular instances of that, particularly within gaming as well. Um, and there is all this aspect of, you know, should people be accountable? And well, unfortunately, it seems like despite his good intentions, Dennis was never going to be the one-man army to, to make that change. <laughs> I do quite admire him to, to a certain extent. It, not, not in what he says necessarily, but in, in the willingness to stand up uh, at, to, you know, angry people on the internet. I think, yes. you know, too often, yeah. um, you know, games developers who are, you know, creative people, and have vision for things. Um, they too often nowadays they just come across a bit like you know developers or creators of consumer products, consumer packaged goods, don't they? Where they want to please mm. all the people all the time, and mm. you know, I know there's always a parallels drawn with movies and things like that. But you know, you don't get a, you wouldn't get a Scorsese and people like that apologising for <laughs> for, th- for things that they've done that people dislike. And I don't think necessarily that games developers should be quite so deferential to their consumers as they are i mm. think it's fair yeah. to say mm. this is our vision you know take it or leave it this is what yeah, we absolutely. wanted to make no there, there's um there's a lot in uh, in as i say listening back to that one up yours there's a lot in what dennis says and, and his convic- convictions he's not always uh it, it takes him uh, he rambles a bit around a point much like I do, as it turns out, <laughs> and me, um, so, before so, he makes company. the point. But you get the sense that there's something, there's an idea behind it where he, he truly did want to to actually deal with accountability and, and actually ask people to consider their accountability when it come into their behaviour. Mm-hmm. The problem is it's far, far too easy for a large number of people to shout down that by doing exactly the opposite, by not being accountable. And But his... His challenge on Neil Gaff and then some of his comments elsewhere were only ever going to make that worse because some mm. people just don't want to hear it and their way of not hearing it is uh, is by shouting it down and just being more vociferous yeah. uh, and and so so led to this war of words. Obviously, it's impossible to say what effect this had on the game. Uh, VG Charts says 0.77 million copies sold to date, so 770,000 copies. Um, it was available digitally on uh, on uh, Xbox Live. Obviously, those figures wouldn't be accounted for. Mm-hmm. Um, there weren't many uh, publisher or developer release sales figures 
as you often get when when uh, publishers and developers want to make a big deal about how well their game's doing or to point out a publisher in terms of a game that's uh, disappointed. Nothing about that. Uh, it, it really seems like post-release there wasn't much comment from Microsoft on expectations for this game or what was going to happen in the future with it. I mean, it strikes me as a game that... I mean, I'm basing this on absolutely nothing, but... <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of second-hand copies knocking around, um, so I think a fair portion of the people who did pick it up probably just got probably it on the cheap traded in it. a barking bin. Anyone who did buy it and you traded it, and yeah, then, yeah, yeah it was exactly. In plentiful supply, as you say, from from yeah. fairly early on. Yeah, yeah I yeah, think yeah. that's uh, that's fair to say. Again, Metacritic not a barometer by any stretch <laughs> for how good or bad a game is. Just interesting in this case that um, a lot of that argument Dennis had with Neil Gaff was about the fact that he felt this was their best game. Uh, he felt that, despite the fact he didn't put a lot of stock in Metacritic, that it was going to get uh, a very high Metacritic rating. Some of the conversation ended up being about betting whether it would be above a certain value. Um, the Metacritic rating as of today uh, on uh, for Two Human is 65 it is one of those it's all relative type moments where it's yeah. you know in the eye of the beholder as to to what they expect but 65 not not usually associated with not not usually referred to as a good score but yeah um, there are plenty of games with plenty of worse scores mm. uh, and i did want to draw a highlight to the fact that a previous guest on Kane and Rince and uh a main man over at uh, gamer node eddie and Zotto gave uh the highest review on Metacritic was uh, was a ninety from Gamer Odin from him. Oh, that's like reminding Empire that they gave Phantom Venice five stars. That's well, that's mean. If, if you read this this review, he is every bit as glowing as you guys were about your experiences mm-hmm. at launch and more. I mean, he starts out to be fair by by saying that this is a game that probably isn't going to be appreciated, mm-hmm. but maybe should be, uh, and and he explains. As he as he does very well as to why he thinks that's the case, uh, a very interesting read I thought, and uh, obviously reading it after having played the game and having my own opinions, I can see why he feels the, the way he does. And mm-hmm. uh, words like fantastic and it, you know superlatives of that order being thrown around this game, he clearly uh, had a lot of time for it and, and mm-hmm. thought very highly of it and, and justified it absolutely uh, in in no uncertain terms. But obviously a big spread down to the other end as well to end up with a, an overall 65. So a game that divides opinion is, is probably an understatement for Two Human, but certainly <laughs> it does it does seem to be the case. It's just so strange. Like, I think what gets me about Dyke's behaviour is that like <laughs> you would like to think that like any any creator, like obviously you always want to put out the best work you can, but there's always that voice in your head that's like, yeah, but what if it's bad? <laughs> or what if, what if people don't, yeah. like you know yeah. what if people don't like it they might be right and etc cetera, etc cetera. so to just be like to, I don't know just that sheer confidence in what he's mm. doing is like to me is just like borderline psychopathic I think <laughs> <laughs> well I mean that yeah that's the thing it, 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 what, was it confidence that, was he absolutely genuine in the fact that he thought this was the best game that Silicon Knights had ever made mm. or, or was it belligerence or defiance or yeah, you know, it, exactly. his motivation we'll never know but it definitely comes across as he was supremely confident of, of mm. this and yeah absolutely it's absolutely a strange one there are few games that have this well there are no other games that have this going on around them <laughs> uh, we'll come to some more of it in a, in a second uh, and 
needless to say, a, a game like Two Human, it's probably odd that we've got as much to say about it as we do, but there is almost as much around this game to talk about as there is the game itself. I mentioned beforehand that uh, Silicon Knights had sued Epic Games who had countersued, uh, and this rambled on for years. Uh, Silicon Knights were asked to, to obviously put forward their case for damages and a breakdown of the damages because they were suing with with very specific complaints that Epic Games had prioritised their own development of Gears of War in expense of uh, other games companies like Silicon Knights who were contracting use of Unreal Engine 3 and that uh, the Epic Games should have put more time towards supporting the engine and supporting Silicon Knights and, and others. Um, Silicon Knights at one point asked for a cut of the Gears of War profits on the strength of this. They said that <laughs> that essentially Epic Games had, had damaged to human in order to, to make Gears of War better. The, the judge then asked them to justify the damages they were claiming for. Uh, Silicon Knights failed to do so in a timely fashion, is, is the, the best report of <laughs> what the judge's decision was. So before they even actually went to court, Silicon Knights were told that the damages they would win because they hadn't justified their claim uh, would be no more than $1. So by that <laughs> point, you know, Silicon Knights couldn't just wish this thing away because Epic had countersued. They mm-hmm. were stuck in a court case that if they won, they stood to win one dollar, and and the 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 loss they could the, the the loss they could make if they lost the court case was significantly more, which turned out to be um, exactly what happened. Mm. Uh, by uh, two thousand and twelve, I believe it was the decision was finally made that actually um, Epic were were correct. Um, Epic had had asserted that. Uh, Silicon Knights had not only by bringing the the lawsuit against Epic, they'd, they'd been unreasonable, they'd disclosed uh, proprietary information, mm-hmm. um, and also they asserted that they were using, that Silicon Knights were using illegally, now outside of the terms of any agreement, uh, aspects of Unreal Engine 3 in their so-called Silicon Knights engine that 2Human was running on. Uh, and by the time that was decided, uh, Silicon Knights had um, three cancelled games that that used this same engine uh, and also X-Men Destiny had been released using that same engine. Uh, The result being of all of this that Epic were awarded damages of $4.45 million uh, and I believe Silicon Knights were uh, were told to pay all lawyers fees for for Epic as well Um, and bizarrely uh, I've I've rarely heard of anything like this but uh, Silicon Knights were ordered to destroy basically (laughs) <laughs> all copies of code pertaining to UE3, so anything that they had made from Two Human onwards, uh, which meant not only did they have to destroy any copies they had of of the the actual game's code, but they had to recall any retail copies that existed of of those games. Uh, they had to delete a game that was originally Silent Hill: The Box, later known as just The Box, and then The Ritualist, um, which was a game they'd been working on. Uh, any uh, two human or two, two human two or two human three uh, work that had been started had to be uh, erased. Uh, a game called Siren in the Maelstrom and the Sandman, and they actually had to recall all copies of Two Human and X Men Destiny. Uh, X Men Destiny, I have not played. It does not have the best reputation, um, <laughs> but 
but but yeah, it had to be recalled. That said, after this court case, after they had apparently recalled, and even to this day, you can pick up a new copy of this game on Amazon UK for uh, $10, £7 or so. Uh, well, no, other way around. I know it's £7, it's about $10. <laughs> um, but by account of uh, Ryan Heyman uh, of Cain Rinse, he he was speaking to me about it and said it's interesting because it's almost impossible to find in America. So that okay. being where the court case took place, it seems to have been more uh, aggressively pursued as you know in terms of recalling everything over there than it has been here, maybe. Uh, which you know it would be Microsoft Game Studios, but presumably their European branch here, and maybe they didn't necessarily pursue that uh, uh, over here as vigorously because that's not where the decision was taken. Yeah, yeah, no, that is interesting because I, I know we, we've always joked about you know everyone who's got a copy is like woo contraband, but it's, <laughs> but it's always it's like you know it's been kind of a joke. It's like you know as far as I'm aware, like no one who like people I knew who, who worked in retail at the time they weren't sent an order to no. you know send all the copies and, to head office or anything. As just, far <laughs> as I know, to this day you can wander into uh, a, a game shop and find in the, amongst the second-hand games, mm. you'll find copies of Two Human, and certainly it's right exactly, there on Amazon. Yeah. So. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah, the most yeah. depressing thing about it all, is that you know <laughs> what I thought was now going to be a collector's item is worth 20p on trading <laughs> value, but at least I know I could flog it to the Americans for a little bit more. So That's true, yeah. I learned something out of this. <laughs> well, in theory you can, but Xbox region coding would get in the damn it. So that's true. uh, It it was, however, the game was, however, pulled down off Xbox Live. um, Okay. As of January 2013, shortly after uh, it was late 2012, that decision was made. Um, Mm. The the demo uh, also pulled down. Um, The the demo, uh, 900,000 downloads, made it uh, one of, if not the most popular demo on. on Xbox Live at hmm. the time and possibly even now uh, to, to this day. Um, but yeah, no longer available. That's all obviously been pulled down as part of the uh, the the outcome of that mm. lawsuit, which when I heard about it at the time and actually even more so now reading back about it, uh, beggar's belief to, to read yeah. the details of what's going on, who said what and, and what the outcome was and the fact that it all took five years to get to that point. Mm. Um, and what it meant ultimately for for Silicon Knights, which is basically everything they've done since Two Human has just been erased, no long no longer in existence by all by all accounts, certainly by legal say, accounts. It staggers me that the company still exists after all, after all the yeah. stuff they had to bin and the money they had to pay out. Surely they they'd be looking at winding up like how well. Where... <laughs> and this is the strange thing because technically in two thousand thirteen. The vast majority of their staff left. They closed as an ongoing uh, game developer. Mm-hmm. However, they still existed as a company. They filed for bankruptcy in 2014, unsurprisingly, I suppose. Mm-hmm. By that point, Dennis Dyack had moved on with many people, many of the, the sort of uh, key people from Silicon Knights moved on to form Precursor Games, which meant that mm-hmm. as this uh, the outcome of this lawsuit was kind of uh, going around, it meant that people were looking at that very closely yeah. uh, in terms of could they just walk away from Silicon Silicon Knights uh, and possibly unfairly they they were seen as to have just walked away from a sinking ship and and mm. basically started up a new business and you know were were they okay to do that given that these were basically board members from Silicon Knights and and th- this whole saga uh, the v- reverberations of it carried on uh, into Precursor Games's uh, Kickstarter for Shadow of the Eternals. 
it seemed genuinely from after Eternal Darkness, obviously they couldn't use that name, but they wanted to make a, a basically a sequel, a, a spiritual successor, I guess is the term uh, to that. And mm. and people seemed genuinely interested in that game, but uh, almost in, I guess, what nowadays would be thought of as, uh, nowadays it's only two years ago or one year ago, but um, as almost Molyneux-esque, people just seemed desperate to point out that no one should be trusting Dennis Dyack. Um, uh, to the point where he ended up on several Kickstarter videos basically explaining his existence almost. It's fascinating, <laughs> honestly fascinating to watch some of these videos where he's very earnestly explaining what he is going through in terms of uh, still fallout from the, the NeoGAF situation and mm-hmm. and some of, some of his comments that uh, that people took exception with. Uh, and and talking about how it's it's just ruining precursor games' chance to to be a company. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I I can't think of and and apologies. Maybe if uh, you guys have uh, can point out or or if Leon were here, he may he may well have examples. But I can't think of a game that is this far reaching just in in terms of just what it meant for a, a games company and and just almost mm. watching over the course of I guess six seven years a self-destruct button be pressed in the slowest way possible. <laughs> the closest example I can think of, and the, the game's not too dissimilar, is probably Kingdoms of Amalur. Because that, yeah. that took mm. years to make. It was supposed to be an MMO, and then it wasn't, but it still yeah. plays like one. It just plays like an MMO where you're the only person. And basically, it need, uh, by the time it came out, it needed to sell about 7 million copies to make it to break even. To, to, yeah, um, to and it did like yeah. one or two. Mm. <laughs> You mentioned cancelled games. Have you guys yes. seen the concept art for Two Human Two? Uh, no, this is Two Human Rise of the Giants. That's the uh, one. Yes, yeah. literally all, all I know about it is the uh, cutscene at the end where Loki approaches an ice giant. Yeah, the concept art is really nice. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It, like it, it, you know, it's no wonder that you know that you were saying there are aspects of the first game that are, you know actually really quite striking, especially the environments and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, you can tell that they've obviously got some really talented. Uh, concept artists because mm. um, yeah some of the Rise of the Giants stuff looked really incredible um, because we'll we'll never see it now um, I think it, I think it definitely would have been a better game um, I think the, the complaints against the first one were so unanimous and so clear um, I don't think there's any way they could have not fixed it they could have it. not addressed them yeah, yeah that's the thing yeah is you kind of wanted to see okay you've seen how this one was received let's mm-hmm. let's see what can change mm-hmm. it's worth saying as well that right up until 2012 so right up until a year before, you know, as the as the lawsuit was going on and uh, and all this stuff was was happening, and, and the game had been not even received poorly, but it just got this reputation by that point. But yeah. right up till then, there were still articles coming out, interviews with Dennis Dyack, and he was adamant that uh, that this trilogy would be completed. Oh yeah. Um, so so yeah, I don't know if at that point whether Microsoft owned the two human name and the, and the the rights to the sequel or whether that was purely Silicon Knights. Uh, but uh, but he was absolutely adamant that that was going to happen there's just no way now is there that, that would be surely a ludicrous end to this story. <laughs> <laughs> all right well before we uh, before we close off with our own thoughts we have a few uh, pieces of community correspondence uh on on the day of the the recording which is uh, usually a, a weekend change before we actually um release the show uh, you can you can find on Twitter, requests for forum correspondence and for three-word reviews on Twitter. Uh, it's worth saying that uh, it's always worth going to the forums and uh, and checking on there. We often have threads up uh, further in advance 
uh, of, of the recording asking for for sort of long form feedback, which can be uh, can be found kinrinse.com slash forum. You will find threads on there for for uh, one or two upcoming podcasts and feel free to, to start one on there if you'd like to get your thoughts down uh, further in advance than uh, than sort of the, the same week. Uh, or if if you would prefer to uh, to have a private correspondence, you can send emails of your thoughts on any of our upcoming games to podcast at caneandrince.com. Uh, one such person who he actually went to uh, to our forums and posted on there, Glenn Watts, aka Flabio, his thoughts on uh, on Two Human. This could be an interesting one. I don't know many people that have played it, let alone completed it. There is an awful lot wrong with it for sure. The enemy designs are pretty repetitive and the ridiculous amount of time it takes to respawn when you die is near legendary. I enjoyed it quite a lot though. It scratches the same sort of itch that the Dynasty Warriors games do for me. Sometimes all I want is a bit of mindless smash smash through lots of bad guys gameplay and it does that differently enough from the norm to be worth a look. The two stick control method is pretty much unique and really should have been borrowed for another game by now. The Norse-inspired sci-fi setting left a lot of people cold at the time, but I wonder if in the light of the Marvel Thor movies people might get more out of it now. The design of the Pantheon is pretty close to the Marvel movie designs. Unfortunately, it's more likely to be remembered for the legal, legal issues around its development than anything else it did. Via Twitter, but not a three-word review, Ben Monroe contacted us today to say a whole lot of hype and a massive letdown. <laughs> that's it. That's 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 his sum up on the game, which uh, I'm sure not not a unique uh, point of point of view. Uh, we have three three word reviews, uh, which, as mentioned, we will put out requests for uh, via our at Canaan Rinse Twitter account. You can find those on the day we are going to record. So if you keep an eye out, you will be able to answer our requests and include the hashtag CRTWR. We have three of them. Brian, if you could start us off, please. Yep, uh, David Merritt, aka at uh, Snaky David on Twitter, wrote "Bought as a joke," but of course the joke's on him because it's now worth nothing. <laughs> <laughs> he, he did actually clarify that with uh, him and his friend have a habit of every so often buying a, a joke game for one another, uh, just just to to see what the other thinks of it, I suppose. And uh, he and his friend, uh, well, his friend bought himself and then bought for David this game as a joke. Uh, Glenn Watts, Mr. Flabio, uh, who we've already heard from, he also had a three-word view, Nordic Dynasty Warriors. And uh, Robin Rizal, Hackerelius, Kisses Fingers, says, all copies destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. As we've said, that's kind of the, uh, the, the final word on this particular game. <laughs> it's not our final word, though. We have our very own summaries to make. And Brian, I wonder if you would be so kind as to start us off. Yes, I will be brief. Uh, I, I, we usually are just here to say whether we would recommend other people play it, right? And, uh, <laughs> you know, I would say no, uh, because I, I actually regret going back to play it because it, I have very fond memories of the game uh, seven years ago, playing through it. It was my first uh, Diablo-like sort of dungeon crawling loot experience and it, it actually got me hooked on those games so you know it, it, it's memorable in in that sense uh, it has been uh, superseded now by other better games and for you know all the noise that was made about the uniqueness of the control method I, I don't think it holds up uh, and and just for that reason I just I, I don't I can't, I can't recommend anyone uh, play it whether they get bought it as a joke or they want to buy my copy off me for more than twenty p. <laughs> or, you know, it's it's just 
yeah, there, there are better games out there to play, and uh, I think that the story of Two Human and the the um, the cult essentially that's built around it, or the the, the cult of Dennis Dyack and everything that's that surrounds it, mm. is probably more interesting now than the than the game itself. And ultimately, who wants to play one third of a story? Yeah, thank you very much. Um, I was so sure after a couple of hours of this game that I was going to find it tough not to just come on and just rag on this game. Just <laughs> just attack it from every angle because I wasn't getting much out of it. I really wasn't. I thought this represented the worst aspect of some of the worst things from around 2008. I thought games like Mass Effect and Bioshock, which came out around the same time or, or a year in advance of this, those are games that I, I look back on with massively fond memories and this came out at the same time. Really, I couldn't believe it. After about six hours... I thought I'd underestimated how much I hated this game. I really, really did. I thought this just felt like a half-baked, half-done, poorly conceived game. I, there, I was that dead set against it. I wasn't sure how I was going to host a show where I felt that negatively about a game <laughs> that it, it would affect the overall tone. And yet I got to the end. Story's not great. Cutscene's kind of frustrating. It feels like a setup for... A game that was never, as it turns out, going to come. <laughs> um, other games, not just since then, but around that time and before, have have done similar things much, much better. The, the combat didn't necessarily grab me initially, but I found by the end of the game, there are some really nice ideas, really great touches. There are aspects of this game, like some of the environment design, like the music, um, like just the the idea of it, actually. There's a lot of interesting stuff at the heart of it, and what with all the the hoopla and circus around it, this is an incredibly interesting game. It's not a good game; it hasn't necessarily it's not necessarily a good game. It hasn't necessarily aged well, but there are things about it that make me sit back and think, what what could this have been? If I ludicrously say it had more time to be developed, <laughs> which sounds ridiculous for a game that, that on the face of it took nine years to develop, although we've discussed that, it's. I have such mixed feelings about this game, I, and in many ways I'm just glad it exists for how much I've, over the past week, this microcosm of Two Human over the past week, just been thinking about it and why it exists and what it is, and uh, it's interesting, is, is my is, is my one-word review of, of Two Human. It fa- just absolutely fascinating for so many reasons, and not necessarily a game I, I, I think people need to play, but it's one that as a cautionary tale and as just this uh, this weird snapshot of of the last console generation is for so many reasons I'm so glad we've we've covered it here and Sean would you like to uh, to take us home with your thoughts on two human please defending two human is a, a very strong part of my personal brand um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I always like to have a go at people when they slag it off because I, I do think it is I mean, less so now, because um, it hasn't aged very well. Certainly at the time, I think it was unfairly maligned um, <laughs> by a lot of people. Um, like you know, I, I definitely had a lot of uh, enjoyable time out of it. Would I recommend anyone play it now? Probably not. Um, you know, as as you both said, that there are other games now that do similar things much better. Um, it's it's like I said, it, it suffers from. There aren't many developers who can get away with spending so long on a game and still 
um, keep this sort of perfect, like you know, to still perceive the game um, with with fresh eyes throughout. I mean, basically, Valve, I think, are the only ones who can get away with spending this long making a game and still have it come out good because they're they're okay with with trashing things that aren't working. Whereas with something like Too Human, like I say, there's there are these interesting ideas in there, but it's like they've just been staring at it too closely for too long. Um, and they failed to see a lot of the very sort of basic levels that the game doesn't quite work on. But yeah, I mean, it does do interesting things. Like I say, I, I still think that control scheme, like there's definitely something there. I think people got upset because they didn't have, um, you know, that, that sort of free control of the camera. Um, but, you know, Fancy Star Online got away with it, so deal with it. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it's, it is a, a fascinating game, and I don't regret, the time I spent with it and I will continue to sort of defend it or maybe a bit more reservedly than I used to um because you know going back to it now was uh yeah sort of definitely uh through the uh, rose tinted specs off well said and thank you very very much well I have been James Carter and I like to give my uh, massive thanks to Brian Tarrant and also to our guest from Midnight Resistance for the second week running Sean Bell uh, would you like to tell people if they don't already know uh, what Midnight Resistance is and where they may be able to find you. Uh, Midnight Resistance is a stupid website about um, children's computer games. It can be found at <laughs> midnightresistance.co.uk. Um, sometimes there are words. It is more often a podcast, um, which we recorded an episode about a week ago, which I should really get edited and uploaded. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we got nominated for a GMA once, but that was two years ago. And I think I think that's that ship has sailed now. So <laughs> you've peaked <laughs> yeah that, that was it that was as close as we'd get all right that has been our, our discussion on two human folks uh, next time it will be issue 179 it will be raining it will be pouring and silent hill is sure as heck coming to a close <laughs>